It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. I met Kamala at the Olympic Auditorium when my dad was friends with one of the referees. Show you how bad a parent my dad was. He takes me to this wrestling event and leaves me alone backstage at a WWF event, you know, Pat Patterson running around. I mean, out of control. Um, And I see Kamala getting uh, ready to go home, I guess. And uh, he's taking off his makeup and he's putting on like a polo shirt and like khaki pants. And I'm literally just staring at him. Like, it's like that scene in Fast Times where the kid's staring at Forrest Whitaker, like, oh, I thought they just flew you in here for games. Uh, <laughs> and he looks at me and goes, hello, young man, I'm James. I'm like, uh, I thought your name was Kamala. And what are you doing speaking English? And then Kimchi came over, who I thought was Asian. That was his manager. And he takes off his safari helmet. And he's like, I think it was the Brooklyn Brawler. So I, I think he's, hey, I'm Steve. I'm like, my mind was blown. Like, <laughs> what's going on here? Like, what? You you could speak English. You're not Asian. What the hell's going on here? Welcome, fellow Lushes. Come on in, pull up a bar stool, and enjoy some cocktails with dimples and the beard. <laughs> Hey, how you doing? Hello. What's up? <laughs> how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Good. We we love the uh, the picture that comes up for it's the ah. um oh man what was his name? Go in Kamala. 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 Let's say I know that. I remember that dude. <sighs> well, thank you for coming. I, I'm glad we uh, we got it worked out. <laughs> Yeah, sorry about that. No, I never got the. Uh, that's quite all right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Emails, whatever. <laughs> so tonight we're uh, we're talking to. I feel like I feel like do it. Just do it. Yeah, I feel like for introducing, I just have to say Earl Motherfucking Skakel. I don't know why, but when I introduce you, that just feels like it wants to come out. I mean, I have that effect on people. <laughs> <laughs> and you are a comedian, actor, podcaster, and uh, we. Uh, we I, I saw you on Raylan Nelson's podcast and uh, and we've had her on as well and, and uh, it was like oh man I wonder if he'll talk to us so I reached out and you uh, perfect luckily for us said yeah so we appreciate it. thanks for coming on I'll pretty much talk to anybody so uh, <laughs> don't feel too special all right <laughs> all right I didn't well, well I don't anymore <laughs> just kidding just kidding okay I mean I'll I'll get over it no I appreciate it. We're good. 
Where to begin with you, sir? You've been in the biz for quite a while. What haven't you done? Porn, but uh, <laughs> that we know of. I've been offered uh, <laughs> to delve into that world, but passed uh, many times. So, um, I mean, I've been doing comedy for so long. I, I really don't remember when I started. I mean, I'll guess around 99. Yeah. So. Okay. Did you uh, kind of get started at the comedy store and the, and the rest of the clubs around L.A.? Well, I got started originally. My friends were all very high-level agents and managers at, like, uh, ICM, William Morris, um, and uh, what would then become Three Arts, which is a gigantic management company. Okay. Um, and they were all like, Earl, you'd be the funniest person on our client roster. Just start doing open mics and we'll help you. And then uh, as soon as I started doing open mics, literally all but one left the business to get into real estate. <laughs> oh, so, shit. Um, and he's still in the business today. Um, okay. But uh, I started at the comedy store and I just wasn't ready because um, the first time I did the Sunday night open mic, uh, there was a comic by the name of Brody Stevens. Yeah. Who's iconic in the in comedy in general, but especially in Los Angeles comedy. He was Yeah, for uh, sure. You can't, he you can't hear like, about Yeah, you can't hear yeah. about the star without hearing his name. So Yeah, no, he's it's hard to explain to people uh his iconic stature. Because he was like the band Motorhead. He he should have been more famous. Yeah, um, sure, sure. You know, and but if you did comedy in LA, you knew who he was. And he was hosting one night and I walk in the room and there was a young comic on stage bombing pretty badly. But this was back in, I think, 2000 when the comedy store was not the club it is today. Sure. Um, it was pretty empty, very dark. You know, it was, it was like being an 80s metal band in 1996. It was just like, this is, this is pretty rough. Yeah. And, uh, the kid got off stage and I can't do a good Brody impression, but he said, Hey, where are you from kid? And the guy was like, and he said it so softly. He's like, La Jolla. And Brody was like, well, that drive just got a lot longer. <laughs> and, uh, kid, the kid ran out literally crying. I've never seen him since. Oh. Um, and so I was like, I don't think I'm ready for this place. Um, Chew you up and spit you out, huh? Oh yeah, I will. I mean, I'm pretty popular in the LA scene, so I think yeah. I would have survived looking back. But so I just started doing open mics and crappy book shows and strip clubs where they would have shows called Giggles and Jiggles. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's my kind of comedy show. So that original night, did you end up going on or did you not? Uh, no, I think I walked out because the, okay. the guy after Brody. Uh, or the guy after that kid who uh, cried, he goes on stage. And uh, at the time there was a, um, it's like a shooter in the grassy knoll mic where the host from, uh, you know, uh, the open mic would sit. And uh, Brody, as we all know, had a very loud voice. And uh, he was talking on the side mic to this girl he was trying to pick up on. And the guy who was on stage was like, hey, Brody, shut the fuck up. 
And Brody's like, hey, you can't talk to me like that. You got to be professional. And the guy is like, I'll be professional when you shut up and start paying me and walked off. <laughs> so these are the first two comics I've seen at the comedy store. One kid cries. The other kid wants to attack Brody. And uh, so I was like, uh, I'm going to go other places and I'm going to come back when I'm ready. Yeah. And I didn't come back for 10 years. So. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Because so that, it was uh, there, there was a very interesting person as the talent coordinator there, and um, you know he was, uh, you know, if you're a comedy store fan, and this guy's been mentioned on many podcasts. Uh, Tommy was the talent coordinator. And, sure. Uh, yeah, let's just say he had an interesting way of accounting for the money at the end of the night. Hmm. Um, sometimes it would end up in his right pocket. Um, so, you know, and he had some very interesting views on certain elements of uh, racial society. Oh, boy. Uh, so I was just like, I'm going to I'm going to go try and get into the improv or laugh factory instead. Um, so okay. it was a somewhat of a long journey. But, uh, you know, about 2000, I think 10, I started opening up for Rob Schneider. Okay. And that showed me the good side of the business. Um, how did you, how did you get involved with with Rob? Uh, well, it's it's kind of like the uh, who was the guy who replaced uh, Lou Gehrig uh, at first base that day because he was uh, sick. Uh, I want to say Wally Pip or so, oh, yeah. something like, something like that. Yeah, George Pip or something Pip. Uh, uh, there was a comic who was supposed to open up for Rob, and he was sick. And now that I know this comic better, he was just too lazy to drive to Santa Monica. And uh, <laughs> he was like, do you want to open up for Rob Schneider? And I'm like, sure. Uh, so I go there and Rob had just started getting back into stand-up because I think people forget Rob was, he started as a stand-up. Okay. But he got mm -hmm. famous so fast that, you know, I, I don't know why he stopped doing stand up, but I'm sure it was like, uh, I'm making a few hundred grand a week on TV. I'm not going to Florida to play the chuckle hut. You know, for, <laughs> um, so I went there and uh, I had a pretty good set. I mean, I'm a hundred times the comic today than I was back then, but for that era of Earl, I had a really good set. And like Adam Sandler was watching, and uh, I think David Spade was there. and and, and Rob in the green room. And it was a pretty all-star green room. Yeah. Um, just told everyone, hey, shut up. That guy over there, and he points at me, he's going to be famous one day. And uh, it was kind of awkward. because <laughs> like Adam <laughs> Sandler looking at me like, who the fuck are you? I'm like, hey, he said it, bro. I did. You're uh, right. <laughs> Came out of his mouth, uh, not mine. Yeah, I mean, so that's... Uh, and then uh, I think 2014, I got on TV doing Roast Battle. And then uh, it kind of... Yeah. Since were then, you, so it's been a very long, winding journey. Were you uh, were you passed at the store before roast battles or after roast battles started? What's well, funny, roast battles started right before I got passed. Okay, so I was actually very lucky um, because roast battle was really a hot show. Just the weekly show, um, yeah. it was completely insane, um, and that's before Jeff Ross got involved. Yeah. And then the show started going downhill after that. Gee, what a shock. Um, <laughs> well, uh, we touch on that right away or. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I dug up some uh, some videos of the uh, like some 
amateur type videos of before it was on Comedy Central. And I saw the one of you and Joe Dorsch. Is his name Joe Dorsch? Joe and Dosh, that, who is yeah. now Fifi Dosh. He's he's oh, uh, strange. Okay. And that he's was, aw- or she's awesome. Um, yeah, that was a fantastic b- battle. It was so funny. And I like how you both turned on the judges at the end and <laughs> just well, turned them funny. apart. That was a pretty, I don't want to say historic, like roast battle it was like MASH or Miami Vice or the Cosby show. But in the, if you follow roast battle, which I hope you don't. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm like the ultimate warrior. I'm so bitter on that show. Uh, but <laughs> That was a historic show because that's the battle that Comedy Central watched and thought, okay, this show could work on TV. Yeah. Because uh, it I, had a little bit of everything. It had two great battlers. Uh, it had uh, the, the wave, uh, you know, which was, I can't say what, well, they called it the Negro wave. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, they called it something else. I think you can guess what. Um, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and then the judges were all funny. And then me and I started attacking the judges and then, uh, Joe, Joe in the clip Fifi now, uh, cause I know there's rules when you yeah, talk, okay. about, I don't want to like, and Fifi is one of my dear friends. Um, mm-hmm. and then she joined me and we started attacking the judges. Um, and, and I think comedy central was like, cause I, you know, they, every network, uh, in LA had passed on the show because wow. I think uh, they were like, okay, no one's gonna get two unknown comics talking about who they slept with and and all this weird inside baseball. Um, not a, not a big enough audience for that stuff. But the, I mean, the, I and I I could kind of see their point, you know, like mm-hmm. wouldn't it be better if we had say. Uh, I don't know, Ralphie May, who I love. Um, I still talk about him like he's alive. Um, you know, Ralphie May battle, uh, some other famous comic. But, you know, if, if the peop- if the celebrities aren't good at roast battle, it's a shitty show. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. It's actually yeah. a better show with two people who are good at doing it. Um, yeah, from, I mean, the little bit, I mean, of, I know of it. It seemed like it's like a really great idea in concept because I think it's, I mean, such a fun thing to watch two guys rip on each other, but like everything else, it seemed like the network got, or the, you know, the uh, business got a hold of it and, and watered it down with celebrities and, and it, it wasn't as funny anymore. Did you have oh, rules? Did they implement rules? Well, I, <laughs> yes. And some of them were good because, uh, Back in the before Jeff and Comedy Central got involved, um, they had one rule where if two white comics were battling, now keep in mind the host of the show is black. Yeah, yep. The creator of the show, Brian Moses, is black. Yeah. Um, but the rule was if two white comics are battling, each one could say the N word once. <laughs> and I mean, hard er version not the gga <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not that that one's better for the record <laughs> right uh, right um and you know it was just the most politically incorrect show you can imagine um, yeah it seems like at, it. at the time i was the racist heckler and uh you know because i wasn't battling at the time because it's just not my sense of humor um i i 
I would say I more roast myself in sure. my stand-up act. I, I didn't really like calling someone fat or a whore or, hey, your nose is so big, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I was doing the racist sidekick, and it was done in the vein of Archie Bunker. Yeah. Uh, okay. And one time there was this black guy. He comes up to me after the show. He's like, hey, man, what's with all the racist bullshit? I'm like, oh, uh, you know, it's a character like Archie Bunker. And he looks at me and goes, who the hell is Archie Bunker? <laughs> and I'm like, hey, Moses, this guy wants to talk to you. And I ran. <laughs> He made me do it. Yeah. And so, well, the funniest part to me was looking back, they had a sign over my head that said whites only. And uh, <laughs> I mean, it was insane back then. And someone forgot to take the, the sign down. So the next night there was a black show in the belly room and all these black people were complaining about that sign because it still said whites only. <laughs> like <laughs> the manager had a busy night that night deflecting. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, so you, uh, it's funny. You say this, you just said that you, you were, you didn't feel you were good at the battle stuff, but you really were, or you didn't enjoy it. Well, I mean, uh, I think comedy central said to Moses and Jeff, uh, Hey, that guy's really funny in the corner. But we can't have that character on television. <laughs> sure. We have a thing called sponsors. Um, and I think they said, uh, can he battle? And Moses said, do you want to start battling? Because they want you on the TV show. But they, you can't. You just, they don't want that. Um, that character, gotcha. So I think they uh, put me up. Uh, they started putting me up against people they wanted to see when. Okay. They could well, if Earl loses, who cares? He doesn't really battle. And then I started beating everyone they put in front of me because um, I'm a huge 80s wrestling fan. Um, <laughs> so I thought, well, if I'm not comfortable calling someone fat or or whatever, uh, maybe I could do it as a character almost. So I I was basically ripping off the wrestler Rick Rude. Yep. Um, who, if, you know, younger fans, you know, people who like John Cena probably don't know who Rick Rude is, but um he just had this beautiful body and, and and would go out there and call people fat and ugly and and he would do this thing where he would kiss an audience member and usually they were a pretty hot girl and before he would pick the hot girl he'd point out a fat girl in the crowd and go not tonight honey and, um, <laughs> so i thought oh i'll do it like that and so because okay. I, I had to find some way to mask you know, I felt like uh, so many of my favorite 80s metal bands, uh, you know, most of those guys like C.C. DeVille from Poison. He's a classically trained guitar He's a classically trained guitar player. But, you know, I'm sure he wasn't making any money playing Beethoven scales. Right. So he thought, well, I'll just dye my hair blonde, play a pink guitar. And now he's a multimillionaire. Um so I, I did it in the vein of, you know, I sold out a little bit, but. Uh, well, well, but it, it is it, I mean, I, because of your love for wrestling, I mean, you're kind of playing a character, but it's, a, I mean, it's in your wheelhouse. It's what you love. Right. So, I mean, yeah. And your intros I mean, alone I, were, were almost as good as the, the battle itself. Well, the one battle I had with Jimmy Carr, who's, uh, you know, he's one of the top five, I don't know if famous is the right word, but known comics in the world. Um, yeah. 
he plays venues overseas that the killers play, you know, just to give you the scale of his uh, celebrity. And, uh, you know, I won my battle with him, which really pissed off Jeff and Comedy Central because <laughs> they wanted him to win it. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Because uh, I think two weeks later, the Rob Lowe roast was on uh, Comedy Central and Jimmy was on the dais. So they wanted to. It would have been a nice cross promotion. Hey, here's roast battle champion um, Jimmy Carr. And uh, I told him not to do that, but they didn't listen to me. So, because uh, I, I'm very competitive. Um, yeah. So, and I knew that they wanted me to get killed by uh, not just Jimmy, but the first guy I battled. My first TV battle was against the Comedy Central writer. And, oh, okay. Uh, he write this uh, guy. Um, he wrote jokes for Jeff. He, he was the head writer on At Midnight, which was a big show at the time on Comedy sure. Central. He wrote on every Comedy Central roast. Like He was the first person to get a phone call like, hey, we're, we're going to roast uh, Rob Schneider and he, we're going to call Jesse first. So, uh, And I kind of embarrassed him on TV because yeah. um, I do my research. Like, I'm a maniac. Um, you know, if you had an abortion, I'm going to find out about it. And I'm going to interview the doctor. I'm going to interview the fetus. I'm going to interview everyone <laughs> associated with that abort. And uh, so it's funny. Like if you go back, it's the only battle I will tell people to watch of mine. Uh, it's my battle with Jesse Joyce. Okay. Um, uh, so I knew off limits is what you're telling me. Well, I, I, I respect Jesse Joyce so much as a comic. I went up to him before our battle because his best friend was Greg Giraldo who uh, committed suicide, unfortunately. And I said to him, hey, is there anything that's off limits? And he knew knew what I was asking. (laughs) Basically, I was asking without saying, can I do Geraldo jokes? Um, And if he would have said, hey, I'd appreciate if you didn't do jokes about Greg, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. But I, I was a master strategist on that show. So, um, and it the belly room was on fire that night. I mean, it was completely oversold. Uh, it, it was, uh, it was, you're, you're wearing a kiss concert, a kiss shirt. It had the energy of a kiss concert in that room. It was right. one of the most, uh, I, I can, I'm still high off of that. And that's 2015. Um, Jesus. Yeah. the judges that night were Jimmy Kimmel. Joe Rogan, Dane Cook. Jesus. I, I mean, it, and Jeff. Yeah, of course, Jeff would be up there. But uh, <laughs> And I knew Jesse was very long-winded. I mean, he is he is a jokesmith. Like, he, he, if you watch that battle, you'll notice he came on the stage with, like, 12 pages of jokes. <laughs> I had five in my head. <laughs> if I was going to come with... If they were said, Earl, you need to do a sixth joke, I would have tapped out. I wouldn't have had one. Um, but I knew if I made Jesse go first, he would do a very long-winded joke uh, because it's roast battle's different. It's more quick. Hey, you're so fat. Right. You know, you, you, know, you look like Ralphie May. Oh! <laughs> yeah. uh, Jesse did this probably minute-and-a-half joke where at one point it was so long Joe Rogan, who's judging, was like, hey, dude, that's like two, three jokes. And then him and Jesse kind of start arguing. Uh, and I was like, just don't say anything. Just sit there and stare at the camera like Cindy Brady. Just stare. 
And then Joe's like, Earl, do your joke. And I, I looked at him like, wow, Jesse, that joke was longer than your first marriage. And uh, just, it's not the greatest joke in the world, but for that moment, I, I, and the room blew up like Kiss doing an encore. <laughs> and I, I look over and every Comedy Central executive from New York and LA was in the VIP area, which was stage right. And they all, like they were marionettes, their jaws were dropping. And they were like, and then my second joke killed. I rarely kill. I usually do well, but it killed. And I look over again and every Comedy Central exec, literally everyone was like. And <laughs> well, not what we wanted. Then, I, yeah, I was like, oh. Uh, and then I went full Rick Rude, Rick Flair. I was a maniac. I mean, I've never done a drug or drink in my life, but I was so naturally high from those two jokes doing well. And I think they cut this part off of television of bastards. Uh, I said, hey, if the Comedy Central travel guy is here, I fly first class. I want two kosher meals. I'm not even Jewish. I just want to stick it to this network. And Jesse, do your next joke, bitch. And like, Dane Cook was like, I feel like I'm watching a video game where one of the players' controllers are broken. Um, oh. <laughs> and so, you know, it was all downhill from there. <laughs> I imagine it's got to be, you're talking, you were, you were battling a, a writer. It's got to be a totally different uh, muscle to, to say it out loud and to write it down on a piece of paper. Like, I, I don't feel like, like that would translate well. But he had done stand-up before, did he, or? Oh, he's a great stand-up. Okay. Um, okay. I mean, and it's funny, we're friends. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I haven't seen him since that night, uh, but you know, <laughs> we're, we're comedy friends. Um, yeah. And uh, I just think it was told to me before the battle, uh, I had a mole at Comedy Central who would feed me intel. Um, and he's like, you know why, you know why you're battling Jesse, right? Uh, because at the time, my girlfriend was uh, also on the show. And I thought, well, why don't you just put us together? That that would show you what the battle is about. <laughs> um, because we had already had a battle. We did an alternative festival uh, a couple months beforehand. And it was a bunch of big comics battling. And then me and my girlfriend at the time. And we stole the show. Because yeah. we, we went hard on each other. And we broke up about two months later. But I... Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, she's making fun of my dick and I'm talking about her pussy stinks and and like, but it was back and forth. It was like watching a prize fight. And uh, so when uh, they put me up against Jesse, I'm like, why am I battling him? We should just do a repeat of, of my battle with my uh, girlfriend at the time. And they're like, well, Jesse, they consider Jesse kind of boring presentationally. Like he's just going to go up there, read his jokes and look at you. But they know you'll go up there in the leather pants and the oiled up body and you'll do something with the wave where I think I put that night, I put one of the wave in the Triple H's finisher, the pedigree. <laughs> and I actually did it to him and I thought I heard him. Uh, <laughs> if you notice in that battle, I put him in the pedigree and stomp him on the ground and mm -hmm he wasn't moving for a second. I'm like, Hey bro, you okay? Um, 
And, uh, he was very committed to the biz. A hundred percent. So then when I got my, they had to use me in Montreal. They, there, there was no way they could not have brought me because it was so good. Yeah. And then I, I got my bracket in Montreal and I was like, oh shit, I'm being punished. Uh, <laughs> Because everyone else got a warm up battle, um, you know, basically a guaranteed victory. Sure. Um, and then I looked at my bracket and I had uh, Tom Ballard, who is this brilliant Australian comic and a savage roast battler. I mean, they did an untelevised season of the show, like a test season, and he was killing everybody because he's gay and he gets it, he knows it's just going to be gay jokes. So he's very well prepared. And he was my first opponent. And then Jimmy Carr was my second opponent. And then my third opponent was Sarah Tiana, who's brilliant. Wow. And then my fourth opponent was K. Trevor Wilson, who's this legendary Canadian comic. And everyone else is getting like all these gimme matchups. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck did I do wrong? Like, <laughs> I'm so competitive. I was like, I don't want any easy matchups, but if everyone else is getting one, I'd like one. At least one. Yeah. And then I never got, yeah, at least one to like make me look good. <laughs> um, so, but you, you brought up, I only tell that story because you brought up reading jokes versus off the top of your head. And, yeah. Cause my battle with Jimmy is kind of controversial because I bombed on one joke because, um, I mean, literally dead silence in the room and, and we're on TV. I'm thinking there's millions of people watching. Well, it's Comedy Central, not millions, but like, <laughs> good one. Um, I'm a couple. I mean, they don't know. They literally don't get millions. They get like six, seven hundred thousand people or whatever. Sure. Still more people that have ever watched me do comedy than anywhere else. Uh, Jimmy reads his jokes and I um, I don't. I just, you know, so it's kind of cheating what he does um but you know jeff ross is such a kiss ass he lets jimmy does it do it yeah uh, so i came out with a clipboard of my own and i walked out there and i looked at jimmy and i uh was like here's my clipboard jimmy i don't need mine do you need yours you limey bitch and uh <laughs> i threw it in the crowd and i that's how i won the battle even though i had a joke that bombed that verse, it's not even a joke, really, but the visual of I basically called him out saying, hey, he reads his jokes. Yeah, you know? sure. You already, you already had the judges slanted your way at that point. Well, not really. Jeff was a judge, so I knew oh, yeah. he was going to vote for any, anyone else. I mean, him judging a comedy show is like, you know, fucking Lorenzo Lamas judging up the Oscars. Uh <laughs> I take but, it there's some, uh, there's some bad blood uh, between you and Jeffrey Ross. <laughs> I can't stand him. He's an awful person. Yeah. Hey, you know, Jeff likes to uh, play guitar. He, he fingers an A minor. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I knew I had to get David Spade and Kevin Hart's uh, um, votes because if it was a tiebreaker, Jeff would vote for Jimmy. So luckily, sure. um and then uh, in my battle against, I mean, David Spade and Kevin Hart judged my battle against uh, Tom Ballard and against um, Jimmy Carr. It was Jimmy Kimmel and um, Seth Rogen. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, Jimmy voted for me. He, he said something to the effect of uh, uh, Jimmy Kimmel voted for me. And he, he said something like, uh, well, Jimmy 
Carr reads his jokes and Jimmy Carr was really funny. He's like, that's exactly what I'm doing. And, um, and then Seth Rogen was like, Earl, I like riding a roller coaster and you had the higher highs and you definitely had the lower lows. I'm going to vote for you. And Jeff's Ross's face was steam was coming out of that fat bald head of his. Um, Cause he knew he couldn't do anything to reverse the decision. Sure. And, uh, yeah, so, like I did. I did. Well, I like how um, Brian Moses gave him the chance. Like your vote doesn't count, but what would you like to say? <laughs> yeah. So, and it, he was so pissed, and I knew he was trying to come up with something on the spot. Like, hey, Earl, you want to go to overtime? Uh, I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> and Jimmy just looks at me, and Jimmy Carr is a gigantic comic. He could care less about winning roast battle. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it meant a lot more to me than him. And all he said to me was, he whispered out of the side of his mouth. Just don't hug me. This is a five thousand dollars suit because I had <laughs> I had oil just dripping all over my body. Um, oh, that's fantastic! So I mean it. It should have been the you know the week of my life being on TV. You know, I think it was five nights and six days on Comedy Central, but it, it was really a miserable experience. Yeah, was, that sucks. Because I'll go back to the origin story. You were kind of involved in the origin of the whole roast battle at the comedy store, weren't you? Oh, I was, uh, it was me, Moses, um, the two guys, you know, the, the show started long story short. Uh, and it's just insane that a big show started like this. Two comics wanted to get into a fist fight. And, uh, I forget the exact wording Moses used. He didn't say roast, but I think he said, it's what they call it in the hood. He said, you guys can slap with each other. Okay. So they, battled each other essentially and then the next week no one wanted to do stand-up they were like hey can we do what they did last what? week and then uh the week after a few more people were in the room and then the week after no one wanted to battle so they asked me if i wanted to battle this homeless guy and uh a homeless wait, guy what, what? <laughs> there there's a lot of fat I'm trimming. there's a homeless guy at the comedy store his name is Boone Shakalaka. Um, and he is iconic to the comedy store because if he showed up at the improv or the laugh factory or the ice house or any other comedy club in the world, the cellar in New York, they would kick him out. They wouldn't even let him in the grounds. And, uh, but the comedy stores embraced him like, Hey, this is a wacky club. We, it's kind of got like that bar and Star Wars vibe where we, we accept all freaks. <laughs> and uh, Boone was my first roast battle opponent. And you'd think it would be easy to beat him, but it's not easy battling crazy. Um, so <laughs> he, so he would just look at me and because I have very thick glasses, uh, I have a severe stigmatism and he would just keep repeating you look like you have AIDS, visual AIDS. And that's all he kept saying. So it gave me nothing to go on. Because um, I'm like Floyd Mayweather. I'm a counterpuncher with roasting. You know, I know, because there's definitely a science to it. Uh, you know, I you got to know what they're going to joke on. Like, I'm 53, so I'm probably to this day, the oldest person who's ever roast battled in okay. terms of my actual age. So I know it's going to be age jokes. Sure. Earl's so old that blah, blah, blah. But 
the odds are I'm going to look better than anyone I'm battling. So it, it sets me up for the rebuttals. Um, like when I would battle a fat, uh, you know, I battle this one guy. He's like, I don't know, five, seven, 350 pounds. And, you know, his first joke was an age joke. Like they're all so old. He, they uh, measured his birthday by carbon dating. And I'm like, uh, you're going to be dead in two months. What are you talking <laughs> about? Like, I don't know what works harder on you your buttons or your heart and so you know i think the best battlers and i'm talking of the amateurs not the, the celebrity ones uh i mean jeff's battle with blake griffin i i've seen fucking pro wrestling matches that were more believable um yeah like blake, blake griffin the basketball player yeah jeff battled in season three uh which i recommend nobody watch uh I think I remember that. Yeah, that was battle awful. Blake, well, it was clear they rehearsed the battle. Yes. You know, hey, I'm going to say this about you, and then you say this about me, and then, you know, we'll do some improv, and, you know, uh, and Blake beat him. Like, that's the crazy thing, um, which is probably why they haven't done another season. Like, <laughs> yeah, I would imagine when, when a number one NBA pick is beating your comedian, I mean, that's got to be the end of it. <laughs> Well, in the history of the show, they've never done a tie before. But I think to save face for Jeff, they say, well, let's just call it a tie. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, that would be like me beating Blake Griffin in Game of Horse. It's like, okay, well, maybe Blake Griffin's not that good. Um, <laughs> and, but I will say this about Blake Griffin. He's incredibly nice. Like, he would show up to open mics. Now, here's this guy worth literally $300 million or whatever he's made yeah. in his career. And he would show up, he'd sit in the back of the open mic. He wouldn't ask for special treatment. He'd go on after three hours. Uh, and he, he, so I, I, all love for Blake Griffin. Okay. Wow. Paid his dues. Oh, uh, well, my, a little bit. A little oh, okay. Bit. <laughs> wow. So, so with those at the store, did you know how far in advance did you know who you were going to battle? You talked about research well, before. Well, they would, um, like when I battled my uh, girlfriend at the time at the um, alternative festival, our battle kept getting delayed um, for various reasons. And so I had, I think we both had about four months on each other to prepare. So I had 406 jokes for her. Um, Holy shit. But I mean, most of them horrible, by the way, just, sure. you know, I, I'm like kiss. I write, hundreds of bad songs to get to the good ones. Uh, <laughs> I'm a Kiss fan. So, but when you uh, hit that one, to me, yeah. it's amazing. I mean, you know, so, you know, and I narrowed from that. I, I would honestly break down those 406 jokes on her. I would say 300 were horrible. Uh, 50 were workable. Um, another 50 were very good. And then the final six I picked were home runs. Yeah. So that's not, when you have six home runs out of 400 plus shows, that's not a great ratio. Sure. Um, but then for like Tom Ballard, uh, you know, I had a week's notice. I had 107 <laughs> jokes. Um, and then, you know, in Montreal, we had four battles in five days. So. Oh, wow. I think for Jimmy Carr, I only had 25 jokes. Um, and a lot of those were even just loose outlines of like, okay, he has a problem with his father. Maybe there's something there. They're separated, you know, and, um, you know, with Tom, it was a lot of surface level gay jokes. Sure. But I tried since I knew Kevin Hart was judging, 
I thought, well, let me try and weave a gay and a black joke in the same, almost like cheating and a double banger. So I, I think one of the jokes was uh, uh, Kevin Ballard, or Tom Ballard is gay, so he's taking more shots to the back than Kevin's unarmed cousin. Uh, <laughs> And Kevin Hart just looked at me and started giving me the we're not worthy sign. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, and that's the other thing. You, you do research, but people in the audience, do they know what you research? You know, they don't know the same facts that you do. So you have to. And this one may hit, but nobody's going to get it. Yeah. I mean, uh, especially on TV, uh, when I didn't know, you know, I had really only talked to Tom Ballard once. Uh, in the untelevised show we taped, you know, a year ago, I maybe had met Jimmy uh, or talked to him maybe once. Uh, Jesse Joyce, I'd never really talked to before. Um, I mean, I'm very good friends with Sarah Tiana, so that was a little easier to write for it because I knew her. Um, and then Kate Trevor Wilson, I'd, I'd met once. So the TV battles were a lot harder because – yeah. You know, I, I didn't really know most of my opponents. And so I was thinking, watching these uh, battles in general, like you were saying with you and your, your girlfriend at the time, how, how do you, it's all in jokes, but how do you not take some of that personally? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've battled two girlfriends before, and both times we broke up literally two months later because, you, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, yeah how fat you are and you know, <laughs> obviously I little things I liked her you know so I, I had no problem with her appearance but you know my attitude with her was like well she's gonna say mean stuff about me I can't just sit there and like you know so and so is great because that was my problem when I battled Sarah Tiana and it's why I lost because I, I love her so much as a person I was like well I don't want to be mean I, I want to call her old or fat and she's not old or fat. Right. Right. Yeah. But you know, with her, I, I, I was, cause I knew Sarah Silverman was judging our battle and you know, Sarah, I had heard was not happy with all the age and body shaming jokes against her. I think on the James Franco roast. So I was like, well, she's not going to like those jokes anyway. So I'm going to try and be more cute. Not really say anything mean, but just kind of like, uh, I think one of the jokes I had against Sarah was like, uh, Sarah's pussy is like a pool. Uh, a lot of people get in it. And at the end of the night, black guys ruin it for everybody. And uh, yeah, it's a cute joke. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so you, hmm. you gotta, you know, it ain't compliment battle. You gotta be mean. Right. That's what it's about. I mean, that's what people want to see. They want to see mean and they want to. Yeah, they want to see those train wreck, you know, body shaming. I, I mean, I don't know uh, if the show will ever get on TV again because uh, it's just right now in the um, this new era, you know, 2015, 2016, it was a perfect show. Like, yeah, right. You could do rape jokes. You could do. Uh, there was a one battler. He never got on TV, but he had HIV. And, uh, you know, I think I uh, said to him uh, when I was still the heckler guy on the side, I'm like, dude, the only way you don't get AIDS is if they take those letters out of the alphabet. And uh, I don't think you could do those jokes right now in 2022. It, it just. The world is way too it, sensitive. It, yeah. No rap. No, no rap battles this year. No, no. That's for sure. 
but the crazy thing is the show it's on tonight at the comedy store. So it's, I think locally it's still a fun show for people to watch. Although I, I think they struggle now because, um, you know, the show got so big. I think after, you know, for season one, people were like having watch parties. And yeah. you know, I think one of the things that meant the most to me, you know, when you struggle so long in comedy, you, you kind of appreciate the little things. And right before my battle with Tom Ballard, uh, my friend sent me a picture of the comedy store patio and it looked like a mosh pit. You couldn't fit another person in that patio. And everyone was like, they're all here watching you, man. Good luck. And I almost started crying, to be honest with you, because it was just like, man, this is getting, you know, this is like, uh, this it's is a good feeling. Yeah. Well, I was scared. It was my, I mean, yeah. even though we, we did the, uh, the first TV battle was in the belly room, but you know, I'd, I'd always wanted to do Montreal. Uh, it's called the Jess for Last Festival. Um, I got rejected, I don't know, four or five times as a comic. So, you know, to I will give Comedy Central this. When I walked out there for my first battle against Tom Ballard, it was, I felt like a pro wrestler. Like, they had done an amazing job setting up this, what was an abandoned bar, nightclub, into Mad Max Thunderdome. Um, it was amazing. Uh, and I almost flubbed my first joke against Tom because I sit, I looked in the front row and there was a guy and he had a shirt on and I thought it said Kiss Army because it was that same logo. But I took a, I looked and it said Skakel Army. <laughs> oh, shit. And then I, I think they said, Earl, it's your first joke. And I'm looking at that. And I'm like, oh, I had to snap out of it. Uh, yeah, Tom, Tom's gay and uh, lives in Australia. So when he takes it in the ass, he feels it the next day. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, speaking of pro wrestling and 80s pro wrestling, who was your guy? I mean, I you know, it, it's funny. I, I do the Comedy Store Wrestling Podcast, too. Yeah, and, oh, yeah. uh, we had uh, Fred Rosser on last night. He's the first openly gay uh, pro wrestler. He was oh, in okay. WWE, and uh, he also wrestled under the name Darren Young. And at the end, we did our who our Mount Rushmore was. Hmm. And, you know, so it, it's so hard for me to pick just one. Um, yeah. So you're right. What is your Mount Rushmore? It was even hard to pick that. Uh, <laughs> I think I said last night, Sid Vicious, because uh, he was just so, he looked the part. Uh, yeah. An 80s heel, 6'8", 350 pounds, completely jacked. His promos made zero sense. <laughs> uh, so Wait a minute. It, he, was a, he, he was a singer. No, no, not, not the guy <laughs> from the Sex Pistols. Uh, oh, I'm kidding. I, I'm not. I'm not a wrestler, so that's where <laughs> I was kidding. His promos were so bad that it lent to his character of "Oh, he's insane." <laughs> um, and uh, the Ultimate Warrior was another one. Um, Sting, who is still wrestling, that's, that's crazy. Jeez. Uh, he did a. They, he's with AEW now, and he did a. A, st a stunt or however I don't know what they call it but, uh, on the pay-per-view Sunday night that for a 63 year old man was completely insane he jumped off of a balcony 
I'll guess it was a hundred feet uh, onto the guys, the bad guys. And I, it was amazing to watch. So uh, Rick Rude, yeah, I mean, it's insane. When you consider that Scott Hall just died yeah, and he was 63. So Sting is still wow. uh, not just in the business still, but still competitive. Yeah. Uh, so I think that you know, there, Rick Rude, you know, was uh, you know, Abdullah the Butcher. Uh, oh, I remember but, Abdullah Butcher. Yeah, he was funny. You know, I started comedy not to become famous or whatever, but to, I don't know, I just still love doing it. Uh, yeah. And I, you know, being on TV has been cool and, and all the things I've done that were moderately successful. But the thing that means the most to me is one night I get a package at the comedy store uh, from a fan and he sent me this. Mm. Uh, an Abdullah the Butcher. Jesus. Oh, Oh yeah, um, <laughs> that's badass. <laughs> you would think after struggling for 14 years to get on TV that getting on Comedy Central or you know, the other shows I've been on would be my highlight. But it's getting that Abdullah the Butcher doll from a fan. That, yeah, um, probably why I haven't fully made it in stand up yet, and that's my <laughs> highlight. <laughs> we we like what we like. I remember wrestling growing up for me. My first, the first. Uh, wrestlers that I really got into were the Road Warriors, Animal and Hawk. I lo- I love those oh, sure. guys. Yeah, they were they were great. They were watch. like a double version of the Ultimate Warrior. Um, yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Well, when, the when, scary thing is those guys they were they were all from Minnesota. So like Rick Rude, uh, the Road Warriors, and uh, Nikita Koloff. Oh, yeah. who, hmm. uh, the Russian. I, <laughs> I rarely tell people, you know, this is another reason my career is probably not where it should be. <laughs> you know, I'm sure you guys at the end, hey, Earl, where can people find you? Listen, if you go to the various places, great. But everyone should listen to Nikita Koloff's interviews uh, when he's just being interviewed by wrestling podcast because he's talking in his American accent. And then it's the biggest mind fuck to see this guy who i thought was from russia you know and spoke in that hammer and sickle old kogan i will destroy you and then cut to these interviews today where he's oh yeah i was in minnesota with the rick Garud and uh you know he's still pretty big guy um so that was my first indicator of oh wrestling's not real <laughs> yeah huh yeah, that was a that was a kick in the ass when you were a kid. I didn't remember that day too when you. Finally it was finally... worse than finding out about Santa Claus. It was to some kids. It was. Well, I, I think. No, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I, I I was in the you know Macho Man Savage, Paul Orndorff, Hulk Hogan era, and uh, yeah, we watched so much of that stuff. So when when you finally found out, it was oh. Yeah, I mean, I was in that era probably a little before that actually. Uh, and like one of my favorites uh, was is Kamala um, yep. because I, I was so fascinated by that character. And, and this is before the internet. So, you know, you really couldn't look up, okay, where's Nikita Koloff from? Oh, he's from Russo, Minnesota. Oh, okay. It's just doing a character. So there's no Wikipedia. There's no, right. you know, you subscribe to the uh, wrestling observer or, or pro wrestling illustrated and, get a magazine a month or two later after the matches were, you know, two months old. So um, I met Kamala at the Olympic auditorium 
when my dad was friends with one of the referees, show you how bad a parent my dad was. He takes me to this wrestling event and leaves me alone backstage at a WWF event, you know, Pat Patterson running around. I mean, out of control. Um, and I see Kamala getting uh, ready to go home, I guess. And uh, he's taking off his makeup and he's putting on like a polo shirt and like khaki pants. And I'm literally just staring at him. Like, it's like that scene in Fast Times where the kid's staring at Forrest Whitaker, like, oh, I thought they just flew you in here for games. Uh, <laughs> and he looks at me and goes, hello, young man, I'm James. I'm like, uh, I thought your name was Kamala. And what are you doing speaking English? And then Kimchi came over, who I thought was Asian. That was his manager. And he takes off his safari helmet. And like, I think it was the Brooklyn Brawler. So I, I think he's, hey, I'm Steve. I'm like, my mind was blown. Like, <laughs> what's going on here? Like, what? You you could speak English. You're not Asian. What the hell's going on here? Um, so that was my first, you know, and I was 13 or whatever I was at the time, 12. So I was pretty devastated. Yeah. Uh, and then I think the next week there was a wrestler by the name of Eddie Gilbert, who uh, you know, he's a white guy. He's kind of like a Bob Backlund type. Oh, uh, sure. You know, the good, you know, good two shoes white guy. Yeah. Uh, and he breaks his neck, uh, you know, breaks his neck. And then two weeks later, he's wrestling with no neck brace on. I'm like, this guy's recovery powers are out of this. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Um, I mean, we so, thought they were superpowers. Yeah, we thought they were superheroes before superheroes. So, oh, yeah. But, you know, I, and then uh, I went to wrestling last. I'm, this is what I love about comedy. You get to become friends with the most strangest people on earth. Uh, I did the porn star Jasmine St. Clair's podcast. Okay. Uh, Perfect. And she had dabbled in wrestling a little bit. And she called me up and said, hey, there's this thing, uh, XPW, uh, last Saturday night in Pomona. I'll, I'll set you up. You hang out in the locker room and all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, I'm still a wrestling fan. And they are more, because um, I went to some XPW shows in the early 2000s. And their shtick was we're going to be more violent than ECW. Like we are ECW with less money and no planning. And uh, I saw the most violent match I've ever seen Saturday night. Um, they call it. That the, I saw pictures all bloody. Was that? Yeah. Oh, that was real. That guy, the main <laughs> event, they call it a death match. And uh, was this guy named uh, Schlack S H L A K. I don't know if it has some hidden meaning and big F and Joe. And uh, they had a, a, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, at the end of the match, these guys looked like they had been shot 15 times, just blood squirting everywhere. Um, no EMT around uh, like uh, Schlack's wife was bandaging him up. Um, and uh, so that was kind of fun to, I mean, it's a little too violent for me, but, uh, you know, it's kind of neat to be backstage and hearing them before the match talk about, okay, you hit me here, and then I'll hit you with the light bulb, and then I'll throw the barbed wire around your head, and then, you know, I'll, I'll hit you in the chair. And uh, it, it was it was, fat. it was like being in the locker room listening to Tom Brady go over plays with Gronkowski. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm still a fan. So it was, uh, it was a nice night off of comedy to see two guys – give each other CTE right before my very eyes. <laughs> well, uh, 
All I got was the Bushwhackers. The Bushwhackers. Oh yeah, Luke and Butch. I don't know. Yeah, yes. Oh, I remember those guys. Yeah. I, I just would say people would watch it, and I would be in the other room. When if the Bushwhackers come on, let me know. I just want to see them come in. <laughs> yeah, they were like the comic relief, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, um, the back. You know, they were in that era where it was still people thought it was real. Um, no idea what years that was. I mean, I think they were mid '80s, late '80s, early okay. '90s. Um, That's what I remember. But uh, you know, I, I think you needed a comedy relief. Uh, you know, because back then it was good guy versus bad guy. You know, very black right. and white. You yeah. know, Hulk Hogan versus Roddy Piper. Uh, the Piper's going to cheat for ninety percent of the match. Hulk Hogan's going to power up and beat him at the end. And, <laughs> um, so I think I don't know whose idea it was, but I'm sure someone was like. Hey, we can't have all just, you know, Superman versus, you know, the Riddler. Right. Yeah. We're gonna have some guys who are like make the kids laugh too. And uh, you know, but getting back to Kamala for a second, you know, when he would walk to the ring, they would the camera would show kids in the crowd and they were crying because yeah. they thought he was gonna jump into the crowd. Um, so you needed a humor character. Was his finishing move, didn't he just like jump off the ropes and sit on people? Well, it, I will give whoever, yes, that was his finishing move. But what he would do, and this is when they started turning him into a cartoon character, which I didn't like. I much preferred him when he was, you know, the madman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, and this is like god awful how the WWE portrayed black wrestlers. I mean, <laughs> It's, it's so that's when I laughed during February when it was like, Hey, it's Black History Month, let's salute pro wrestlers. And they show a clip of the junkyard dog you know, <laughs> crawling to the ring in a cage, uh, going, uh, but they Kamala was so stupid in his character that he'd jump on them and then roll them over so they were on their stomach. So he would, oh, that's try, right, he would pin them. But the ref would be like signaling to him, no, no, you got to turn him over. And then Kamala, a great actor, would get this really confused look on his face. And then he'd get frustrated and he'd get up and start headbutting the turnbuckle because he didn't know, oh, I have to turn. And then the, usually his manager would like, like try and direct him. No, you got to flip him over, dude. And so uh, great way to portray a black wrestler. <laughs> right, right. And how many matches did that go on that <laughs> he didn't remember to turn him over? Oh, it was so funny. I mean, I think he, uh, <laughs> that was last match, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, so where did, the, where did the love for 80s metal start? As you can tell, we're both of the generation. and I uh, love it. We have the ongoing debate. We, are, I'm, we I'm, are. Because he's 10, 12, 15 years older than me, whatever it is. He's a Kiss guy, and I was, I'm too young for Kiss was kind of so I'm a Motley Crue guy, so we always have this ongoing battle. And I got to say, I know the answer because I never hear you mention Motley Crue and you always talk about Kiss. So, <laughs> Oh, no. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Again. I much prefer Rat to Motley Crue. Okay. Uh, but, um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, I'm a weird Kiss fan because uh, I prefer them in the 80s, which oh. most hardcore Kiss fans would be like, that's their worst era. Right. Uh, and when I'm talking 80s Kiss, I mean from Lick It Up to, uh, let's say, Hot in the Shade, which I think was 91. Um, I, I love those Desmond Child power ballads. Um, you know, my favorite Kiss album, you're probably going to want to reach 
into my computer and wring my head. I love Crazy Nights, um, which I, most fans who like Ace and Peter, that's the worst album ever because um, it was very unlike Kiss. You know, it was keyboards, it was backing tracks. Um, you know, the you know they were trying to be Bon Jovi, but they, they were, I, yeah. And you know they, they were adapting, adapting to the times poorly. <laughs> but it's funny. I just had. Um, Kisses, I guess on the records, he was labeled the creative consultant. Uh, but uh, I had a gentleman on my podcast called Danny Goldberg, who um, is legendary in the music business. Uh, he uh, helped Led Zeppelin. I, I mean, he, uh, Joan Jett, uh, the Cars. I mean, he's worked with everybody. And he was Kisses, uh, I guess you'd say, um, advisor from lick it up to probably hot in the shade and uh i brought it up to him like i kissed did something i don't think i've ever seen any band do um which was from 79 to 90 really carnival of souls every album was a different genre of music like uh dynasty was a disco album basically right um, uh, unmasked was a cars album if you if you listen to unmasked which i love and you close your eyes and you don't tell people it's Kiss. You're like, oh man, Rick Ocasek sounds different here. Um, you know that I've never thought of that till now. That's great. Yeah, I can see it or I can hear it. Well, if, yeah, if you go back and it's it's a really good album, you know, but it's not Kiss. It's it's Kiss doing the Cars, and then yeah, then they did the Elder, which is basically Gene and Paul saying, hey, we're gonna do our Pink Floyd. We're gonna try and album. We want to be respected. <laughs> yeah and it's a great album if, if you don't tell people it's kiss you know if, if you say uh, give it to a young kid today and go listen to this album i'm not going to tell you who it is what do you think of it i guarantee you they'll be like this is pretty good and then you say oh it's kiss uh, oh this sucks uh <laughs> yep and then you know creatures of the night you know that was kind of a a ripoff of what was coming or was already here you know with judas priest and iron maiden and then you know Vinnie Vincent got involved, and I love Vinnie Vincent. Um, how big of an a-hole do you have to be when your your name is Vinnie Vincent and you get kicked out of the Vinnie Vincent invasion? <laughs> That's <laughs> got to be amazing, right? It's got to be, yeah, you know. And the, well, what I love about him is how he needled Gene and Paul. You know, he got kicked out of Kiss three times in like two years. Yeah, um, but yeah. he was so good at what he, would, he brought to the table; they just kept bringing him back. Uh, but, you know, Lick It Up was kind of a, you know, it's a, it was a change of, you know, what Ozzy was starting to do with Jakey e. Lee and, uh, you know, that guitar wizardry and then right. you know, Animalized was kind of the same vein with Mark St. John and, and then, you know, with Asylum and Crazy Nights. Okay, we're going to sound like Bon Jovi now. And, and then, you know, uh, Hot in the Shade was, you know, it was a little harder for Kiss. I'm not saying it was a grunge album, but it was, it was not the Desmond Child era. And then, you know, Revenge was definitely, okay, we're going to be tougher. You know, we're going to wear leather jackets and goatees. And uh, and then Carnival of Souls, I always say, is a great Stone Temple Pilots album. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I don't, like, I know when Motley Crue, that one album they did with Karabi, you know, yeah. it was definitely a, a musical change for them. Yeah. Uh, but that's one album. And then they went back to what they knew. Yeah. Uh, like Kiss, I don't think I've ever, and even Danny Goldberg was like, you know, Earl, 
you're right. They were out of control. Um, <laughs> well, I, I mean, I mean, I really I love hearing this because I, I haven't thought that much into all the albums like you have, and I, I it's enjoying hearing it. Well, if you go back and and you know, I being a comic, I certainly have the time to do deep dives in the Kiss records from 40 years ago. Um, there's some really catchy songs on Unmasked. Yes. Um, I, I do like Unmasked. It's one of my that I'll go to. I'll throw it in and. I know people don't like it, but I, I enjoy it. Well, you know, it's Anton Fig on drums, so it's a different sound sonically uh, than Peter Chris. Um, and then, you know, with, uh, I mean, Dynasty's a fun album, you know. Um, you know, if you like disco and, you know, it, people laugh when I say this, but, you know, the Village people who were on Kiss's record label, um, you know, they were the biggest band in the world at that time. Like, yeah. Great. I mean, the village people at that time were bigger than the Rolling Stones, which is insane. But um, but they were. They were. I remember that. <laughs> well, they had that two year run, you know, with the YMCA and Macho Man and in the Navy. And, uh, you know, and they, they made a movie of, and then. Well, that killed them. Uh, and then they movie killed they did them. With uh, Caitlyn Jenner. Uh, Can't Stop the Music. Can't Stop the Music. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I used to live uh, down the street from where I live now in Valerie Perrine. Uh, who was in Can't Stop the Music. Most sure. people would know her as Miss Tessbacher from the Superman movies. Uh, she's, it the, it, this is why I love living in L.A. You can only have this experience in L.A. I'm walking my dog at three in the morning. She's walking her dog. And uh, I look at her and she knew instantly I knew who she was. And I'm like, hey, that Village People movie, you got to have some good stories from that. And she just looked at me and said, honey, I don't want to talk about it because <laughs> it was, you know, that movie basically killed their career. Uh, but there were stories that came out of that movie, like a lot of sex, drugs and well, not rock and roll, but disco. <laughs> disco, yeah. Well, was so, 1980, you know, it was, disco was kind of dying and right. you know, they didn't really adjust well to that. Um, but she was in, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if you know, but I mean, the comedian Lenny, she wasn't she the girlfriend in Lenny? Oh, yeah. I mean, she was a very um, accomplished actress. Yeah, uh, till then. So, yeah, it, you know, that's the makes me sad about the business is you you take someone like her and like, you know, here she's in Superman, Superman 2. You know, I mean, Can't Stop the Music, you know, it was a complete bomb, but it was a big movie back then. The, I think the creator of Grease was in charge of the soundtrack or, or something. Alan like Carr, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Alan Carr was the producer. Uh, yeah, he yeah even bigger he produced it. So like you look at that three or four year run for her, it's like wow, not many people can say they had that arc. Um, and then you know she, I mean I know she still acts, but you know it, it was kind of a a down a decline, I guess. Right, um, sure, yeah. Uh, you know Bruce Jenner at the time, Bruce Jenner. Uh, you know that I think some probably Hollywood executives said, well, let's give him a shot. He's a good looking guy. You know, we're putting him in with the village people. Who cares if he can really act? He's got to be a better actor than them. <laughs> and uh, turns out he wasn't. Uh, he really, really wasn't. No. no. I mean, it's a brutal business. Man. You, you know, you get your one shot like he did and the movie bombs. And you never get another shot, you know. Um, so like if that. you're like me, I every once in a while, I'm like, hey, is it as bad as I remember it? Do I go back and watch it? And I have not since, I mean, I since the 80s when it came out. We remember renting it on VHS and seeing it because we were Grease fans and we liked the Alan Carr and Saturday Night Fever and he did all those. 
But uh, when's the last time you saw that movie? I mean, probably a couple of years ago. And really? it's pretty bad. It doesn't hold up. <laughs> um, you know, not that that's a big breaking news story, but um, but some things do. Like uh, what uh, I was watching that. Uh, I'm a big uh, Adam Baldwin fan. And, you know, he he had a uh, nice arc, too. And, you know, he started with My yep. Bodyguard and, and uh you know, my bodyguard still holds up as a great teenage angst movie. Uh, Love that movie. You know, and, and uh, there was a kid. You know, it, it's weird. Like, I, I'm a fan of character actors, and there was a little kid in there who played like the funny sidekick um, to the with the headpiece. No, that was John Cusack's sister. Um, I'm mixing up. The, he had the <laughs> he funny had, voice. He had a bowl cut. Yes. Uh, and freckles. And he had just had so many funny lines with like the main character. And it's kind of kiss related. His name was Chris Makepeace. He was the nerdy kid who was getting bullied. Mm -hmm. Well, a, a little semi unknown fact about him was he was slated to star in the, the movie, The Elder. You know, if, if The Elder did a little better, you know, Gene and Paul, and I'm sure Bill Coyne, they had this master plan of making a movie about it, like Pink right. Floyd did um, with The Wall. And that, you know, he was going to be the, you know, the, you know, the kid that was sung about in Just the Boy and, and the other songs. I, re I, I remember that now, now that you say that. I do remember but hearing that. The kid with the bowl cut, he only had about, I don't know, 10 lines in My Bodyguard, but um like when chris makepeace sits down he's like hey if you feel under the desk you can get some fresh boogers and, uh, <laughs> you know it's just like that kid never acted again like it was his only movie oh uh, okay i've tried to get him on my podcast but you talk about i think bin laden was easier to find than <laughs> it <laughs> So speaking of the podcast, you also, other, other than the Comedy Store Wrestling Podcast, you have your podcast, Inappropriate Earl. And uh, uh, how cool was know, it to have Stephen Piercy on? Oh. So say you were, said you were a big fan of Rat. I mean, I, it, it's like one of those things of, okay, this is why I got into comedy, so I can meet the singer from Rat. Yeah. Uh, because they probably are my favorite band, along with Kiss. Uh, I know, you know, Rat's kind of controversial because... Uh, you know, they started around the same time as Motley Crue and uh, Motley Crue, you know, they got bigger with each album and, and Rat, you know, Rat's first album was so big. Yep. You know, and then some people would argue they, they got worse with each album um, or it just hit a kind of a plateau and, you know, they didn't get worse, they didn't get better, you know, depending on who you ask. Um, yeah. So... Uh, he was great. You know, I had had a few people warn me about him. Like, Hey, he's a little prickly. He's not the nicest guy. And, you know, oddly enough, we're like, we have like this Harold and Maude friendship now where he texts me at random hours of the night and he talks to me in rat songs. Like, you know, like, Hey bro, I'd love to do your podcast again. I'll come back for more. And uh, <laughs> we'll lay it down. And it's like, I don't know if he's doing it on purpose or it's just working out that way, but it's, it's pretty funny. That's, that's, um, that's phenomenal. I thought you were, were going to say that's way cool. Junior. <laughs> he, he said that I said, Hey, I'm in the main room at the comedy store tonight. Way cool. Junior. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've had some interesting guests, you know, I, I started out having, you know, I'm like, Hey, I wonder if the bad guy from Superman two would come on. 
Uh, and most people would be like, oh, Terrence Stamp? Uh, he's yep. a pretty big actor. I'm not, I don't want Terrence Stamp on. I want the big guy who didn't talk. Uh, <laughs> that grunted. And he came on. Like, I, I got a hold of him. You know, it was a little bit of legwork because a guy of his age, you know, he's in his 70s. I'm like, well, he's not on Instagram. He's probably not on Facebook. He might be on MySpace, but I found this bizarre Twitter account that was actually his. Oh. And uh, his name's Jack O'Halloran. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, hey, can we Skype? I'm like, no. This is the, I, before I would do Skype. I'm like, you got to come to me. He's like, well, where do you live? I'm like, West Hollywood. I'm like, where do you live? He's like, I think he said Hermosa Beach, which is somewhat of a far drive. So I finally talked him into coming. And uh, it was one of my favorite. I think I'm at 350 episodes. Yeah, that's awesome. His was one of my top five because I didn't really know a lot about him other than Superman 2. But before he acted, he was a world-class heavyweight boxer. Oh, wow. Like he fought, I think he fought George Foreman. Um, he was scheduled to fight Muhammad Ali. Wow. Because he had a great, you know, he really is a, you know, he's a little shorter now, I guess, you know, with age, but, you know, in his boxing days and acting, you know, he's probably six, seven. Oh, wow. He's a big dude. Yeah. yeah I remember he's him being 50. big. I never, yeah. Didn't realize it was that big. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he's still, when he came to my house, he was my height. Um, uh, you know, I'm six, two ish. Uh, and he, he was great. Like, it was so, I was starstruck because, you know, like if you're 50, you know, most kids today probably wouldn't know who he was. Uh, but, you know, I, I was a little starstruck. So, uh, you know, I, I try and get weird guests. You know, I, my, uh, I think my strategy is I want to get people who no one's asking to be interviewed anymore because, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that in, I think this is 2018 when I interviewed him, the same thing with the bad guy from Roadhouse. Oh. I bet he's Marshall Teague. It was so surreal. He came to my house. We we watched Roadhouse together, which was like, wow. And I said to him, hey, you got to do your line right now. And I kind of surprised him. He's got that line at the end where he puts Swayze in a headlock and goes, I used to fuck guys like you in prison. And uh, he did it. And then uh, he goes home that night and he calls me and says, hey, you know, I'm a reborn Christian. Can you take that line out? Oh, <laughs> oh okay. It was so nice. I did it. Uh, yeah, sure, sure. The guest is always right. <laughs> so, I mean, I, you know, I'm appreciative that they came to my house. And, yeah, right. Uh, you know, I, you know, I had Roger Caps, the bass player from Pat Benatar's band, come, and he brings his guitar. You okay over there? <laughs> he's a big was, Pat Benatar I'm fan. A, I'm, a, I'm a love. <laughs> well, he's the one who basically discovered her. Uh, you know, at Catch a Rising Star, which was a big comedy club in the 80s, she was a waitress. He was in the band, you know, who I guess would bring up comics or maybe play in between comics. So, hmm. uh, you know, I'm like, hey, man, because uh, we had a very nice interview. And, and I, I don't know why he brought his guitar, but I was like, hey, why don't you start playing Shadows of the Night and I'll sing it. And, uh, you know, so it's like I would do a lot of shit in the early days of Inappropriate Earl just for me. I'd be like, hey, and, you know. My yeah. voice sounds nothing like Pat Benatar. <laughs> no. Well, uh, well, that's awesome. 300 plus episodes. How long? You started in 2014? I mean, I, yeah, about then. And a lot of comics, a lot of roast battle losers uh, at the time. I thought that was a good idea. Um, I even had Jeff on. Uh, Jeff was really? I, 
I, Jeff is the only guy I've ever seen sit on my couch and sweat because uh, doing a podcast <laughs> was so physically exhausting for him. Um, but back and, then, uh, podcasts were were weren't, as, weren't a thing, were they? I mean, uh, what made you do that? Well, you know, I thought, okay, I got to start developing a fan base for stand-up. So, you know, I, think I still do it. Um, hey, I'll be at the Comedy Store next week. If you want to come, let me know. And so I was really using it to get a little more, a little more, a little more of a, a national audience. Like, oh, I want to start playing Canada, but no one really knows who I am up there. Sure. Uh, so, and this is right before I, I started, you know, Roast Battle. So, you know, now I have relatively decent fan base in canada um but uh you know i i use it now you know like i'm having jasmine st Clair on the podcast uh this week and yeah why wouldn't you <laughs> oh she's great she's yeah. you know she's like she's kind of like the porn version of me where she mentions names she talks uh she she speaks her mind um yeah. and you know she's got you know a lot of interesting uh you know, not just the porn stuff, but, you know, she was in uh, ECW and XPW. So she's got the wrestling oh, stories. Okay. Um, and she's actually really nice, you know. Yeah. And she's gorgeous. She, I mean, uh, I was with her all uh, at the whole wrestling event Saturday night. And I think she's a little younger than me. I want to say 50, maybe. Yeah. And she looks great. I yeah. mean, she can still do porn. Um, and it was just, she's introduced me to her porn friends and, you know, porn people have zero filter. And <laughs> so she introduces me to this girl, probably her best female friend in life, uh, Veronica Kane. And, I, you know, she's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. She, she was a stockbroker girl gone porn or look. I'm not sure, to be honest with you, uh, but she was like, you don't know who I am, do you? I'm like, uh, I don't really watch porn, even though it looks like I produce it. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, who are you? She's like, well, I also wrestled and I was in a sewage, a raw sewage match with, uh, um, who was it? Uh, with Angel, who Angel is one of my favorite wrestling characters ever. I, I'm going to say what his name was. Uh, he was in XPW and he wrestled under the name Angel, the hardcore homo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is that what they call him that's not what i'm calling him um because he was actually a really good wrestler like he was very technically proficient he could do all these wacky stunts um he had his body was just could he you could do anything to him and he would not get hurt so uh i looked up once again i am not trying to direct people i make no money off you youtubing this uh, if you YouTube uh, Veronica Kane Angel Raw Sewage Match on YouTube, it's mind blowing. It's it's I can't even describe it. it. It's literally they have these tubs of raw sewage around the ring. Oh, real sewage! It's not like chocolate sauce. And I won't spoil it, but the ending where Angel and the other male wrestler, they go up on this platform that's probably, oh boy, I'll guess anywhere from 100 to 200 feet off the ground. And there's this, there's like six tables 
on top of each other with a gigantic kitty tub of raw sewage. Ugh. It's the most amazing stunt I've ever seen in 40 years of watching pro wrestling. Jesus. Now I got to see it. Yeah, right? Right? Must see. I'm telling you, I'm not underselling it. <laughs> the whole match is about 20 minutes, and it's, uh, it's pretty fantastic. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, sewage. I'm just like, okay. okay. Once but again, this is why... I have not made it in stand-up completely. <laughs> We've been doing this about, what, for an hour? Have I plugged one thing where you can watch my comedy? <laughs> or see my cartoon or anything of that nature? My podcast, I mean, I brought up the podcast just to tell the piracy stories, but I didn't even say what the name was. I'm directing you to a raw sewage match. <laughs> <laughs> so I, let's talk about your, uh, your, your animated show, The Jellies. How, how did that come to be? Well, as much as I hate roast battle, I've got to give roast battle this. Uh, I was, um, and this was before Jeff got involved. Uh, there's a packed room. There's this young, skinny black kid sitting in the front row right by the wave. And I thought he was, oh, he, this guy's a new member of the wave or something. Because back in the early days of the show, the wave was not very popular to do. <laughs> I don't think you could find many black comics. Uh, hey, we got this thing. It's called the Negro Wave. Uh, and that wasn't really the true name of it, if you know what I'm saying. You want to do it? And most of them like, uh, fuck you. Um, so it was a rotating cast every week. And so the skinny black dude's there. I'm hammering this guy with sickle cell jokes. And you look like Roger from What's Happening if he got AIDS. And, and like just some wildly inappropriate stuff. And uh, the show ends, and I see him, this kid talking to Gerard Carmichael, who's a very big comic. And I'm like, oh, man, if he's friends with Gerard, I better go apologize to him. So I walk up to him. It's probably about 15 black comics and, and their posse, I guess you'd say. And he looks at me, and I'm like, hey, man, uh, sorry about that wacky stuff I said in there. And I totally blame Moses. I'm like, Moses tells me to say all that stuff. <laughs> and he looks at me and goes, I can't say what he called me. You can guess. Uh, he's like, my, you, my. And I'm like, hey, can I call you that? And this gigantic bodyguard pokes his head around him and goes, no. <laughs> and he's like, I want you to be the dad. And no, he's like, I want you to be my dad. I'm like, well, who are you? He's like, oh, my name's Tyler, the creator. And I'm like, Great, I'm Earl the comic. Uh, <laughs> how are you? He's like, oh, I want you to be the dad of my cartoon. I'm like, oh, okay, and that's how I got it. Like, just oh, by uh, by ripping them apart. Yeah, I think he liked. I mean, he's a very famous, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. well known. I don't know what the word is. Uh, um, successful uh, rapper. Uh, you know, he's like basically the new P Diddy. Like, he's got uh, cartoons, clothing lines. He's got a clothing store on Fairfax, uh, which lined out the door every day for his uh, music. And uh, I think he really enjoyed that I didn't know who he was. Um, right, yeah. I and, suppose he's so used to being recognized. Or fond so used to be not only just uh, recognized, but having his ass kissed. Yeah. Like, oh, that's a great song, Tyler. That's You look great today, Tyler. You, blah, blah, blah. And I think he looked at me and was like, this guy could give up. 
fuck who I am. Um, so, and then that got me on, I think we did one season on his phone app. Uh, he had like a Netflix type, uh, thing, uh, subscription service. Uh, it was a pretty good deal. Actually, it was like five bucks a month and you could get this music as, as cartoons and, and uh, shorts. Uh, and oh, okay. The final two seasons on adult swim and, and the show never got canceled. It, he's so successful that uh you know i just think he you know he's a kid still i think yeah yeah 28 or something uh you know the show it's on three networks right now still uh adult swim hbo max and the cartoon network okay Uh, but anything new is kind of in limbo right now um you know it's been two years but uh my friend pointed out to me that Bob's Burgers, they took like two or three years off. Yeah, they did. Just came back randomly. So I, I don't, I mean, I hope it's coming back, but I don't think it is. But uh, if he, if I got a call tomorrow, I'd, I'd be at that studio in 10 yeah. minutes. Because it's yeah. very fun. It's it's uh, the complete opposite of my experience with Roast Battle. It, it, you know, Tyler and his crew, you hear please, you hear thank you. You hear good job, and and even when you don't um, give them what they want, I'm lucky that my voice is my voice. It's, it's very deep, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, it's very uh, dry and, and very monotone. Uh, so I'm not really asked to do a lot of variations on it. Um, I mean, I can do a high pitched voice, but I'm not going to get paid for it. Um, so e- even the few times where I wasn't quite giving them what they needed. It'd be very cool. Hey, that's great, Earl. Can you just try it maybe a little deeper? And I'm like, you want it deeper? Uh, <laughs> it, so uh, it, it really uh, restored my faith. And okay, there's good people in the business. Yeah. Do you have say in the uh, character development or anything like that? I mean, I guess you'd say yes, because it was really just based on, um, I think, my stand-up. I'm sure they research. okay, what is this guy stand-up about? And, and so the character of Barry Jelly is, is very much me. Like if I were a father, this is how I would be with my son. Um, and it was an honor to the guy who played my son is this actor by the name of Phil Lamar, who in the voiceover world is a legend. Like um, any cartoon you've ever seen, any animated movie you've ever seen, he's been in it. Yeah. And, uh, it was literally like a hockey player getting to work with Connor McDavid, like, or Wayne Gretzky. Uh, um, like there was this one time, you know, if you're, you know, these voiceover studios, um, you know, it's millions of dollars of equipment and the mics are, you know, my God, they're, they're probably, you know, I've been known to exaggerate, but I don't think I am. They're probably anywhere from 10 to $20,000 microphones. So they, Jesus. Sure. If your nose hair moves, it picks it up. Um, and I was having trouble one day saying, uh, I think I had to say pussy, but my my P was popping. Because if you say P, any word that starts with P, you kind of pucker your lips and you make a popping sound. And you're like, Pff. and yep. I just, I got scared and that, like I was nervous. And like, I'm, I'm sitting there with Phil Lamar, who is like, the De Niro of voice actors is probably a better analogy. And he just looks at me and I think he sensed I was nervous and he hands me this pencil. And in my brain, I'm thinking, what the fuck is this for? And he's like, say the word. And when you say it, 
kind of talk into the eraser end of the pencil. And I'm thinking, how the fuck is that going to help? <laughs> and he's like, put the pencil in between the mic and your, and your uh, mouth. And sure enough, the first take, I said pussy, and I didn't make the popping sound because it's something about hmm. the, the acoustics of the eraser tip covers up the popping sound of the... P- oh, and, sure. Uh, so it's like, just like little shit like that was like, has helped me in every audition I've ever had after that. And, and <clears throat> certainly every episode of The Jellies, it was, it was like I was in voiceover college with him. <laughs> That's and I was, the funniest part of the jellies is um, the first season, which was on his phone app. I didn't get to see the other actors, so they didn't know what I looked like. I didn't know what they looked like. I didn't know if they were white or black. Um, and so in seasons two and three, because, you know, there's a little bit more money or whatever. Um, someone from Adult Swim and I think Tyler thought, well, let's have the actors in the room together if they have a scene. So I walk in one day and my wife uh aj johnson and uh phil are in there and they look at me and i think they thought i worked there and they're like who are you i'm like i'm barry jelly (laughs) who are you guys and they're like well i'm debbie jelly i'm cornell jelly and aj looked at me and goes you're white i'm like you're black uh (laughs) so they had no idea i was white (laughs) good acting there (laughs) I mean, my voice is so deep, especially on a million, millions of dollar sound system that, um, you know, uh, season one, we did at some rich guy's house in the hills. It was at this mansion and I'll assume he was either, I don't know, it was either Tom Petty's house or someone's house because in the recording area, there was probably hundreds of thousands of dollars of guitars. Jesus a drum kit that probably cost a hundred grand in and of itself. Um, saxophones. I mean, it was mm-hmm. uh, unbelievable. And the, the, the recording room uh, probably, I, I would guess at least a half million dollars worth of gear, you know, mixing board and, and pro tools. And um, so I don't know. I still to this day, don't know whose house it was, but uh you know, it yeah, it sounds like every recording studio here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, I love it. Well, you see my recording studio. That's my kitchen right there. So <laughs> that's my goal in 2022 okay. is to um, have a little bit more of a setup like you guys do, like a little podcast sign. And so people don't see the background of my kitchen. <laughs> oh. Good goal. Good goal. Now, aren't you working on a, another animated series? funny as hell um i is that yours it hasn't been picked up yet um it's uh you know during the unfortunately to pitch a tv show especially an animated show um during a pandemic is is like might as well be the white guy in the hundred yard dash at the olympics uh you know you're gonna I mean, you ever see that one dude in the Olympics? Is like yeah, yeah. one white dude from like <laughs> Poland, and you know, you've got all those runners from like Kenya, and you know, still uh, got to be yeah. out there. <laughs> you know, he's like the one horse in the Kentucky Derby that literally finishes dead last by like a hundred lengths, and you're like, 
Well, he must have beaten someone to get in this race. He's, he's well, Poland's fastest that. man. Yeah, I'm like, he's the fastest they have. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it's still in play, I guess you'd say. Um, it, okay. it's, a, it's a really funny idea based around that, you know, an animated comedy club where you'd have different uh, comics come in every, I don't know if it would be a weekly show or a monthly show or um, maybe just a series and, and um where are you involved in the development of it i am uh, me and uh another uh, person uh <laughs> say what uh, you can that's we fine. developed it and uh you know it, it, that's one of the great things about working at the comedy store which is the number one club in the world really uh is the access to comics is pretty easy to and you know if you go up to any comic at any club and go hey do you want to be in my animated uh thing it's on netflix or whatever network it ends up eventually being on it's pretty easy to get them to say yes sure awesome a very easy (laughs) gig you just you know you probably uh, in our minds it's a half hour show so you take out six minutes for commercials so you literally just record a six minute set into a microphone and that's it yeah we would obviously pay uh you know like i paid for the uh what you saw that um sizzle reel uh, you know we paid an animator to make an animated version of me and, and uh, eleanor kerrigan uh so uh you know i mean the, the good thing the bad thing is there's so many networks on tv like i have direct tv which is like saying you have aol um <laughs> wait wait which you do because that was your email address Oh, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, wait, this guy's got an AOL. No wonder you didn't get the first one. <laughs> when I run into people I haven't seen in 10, 15, 20 years, and they say, what's your phone number? It's the same one you have. Um, <laughs> what's your email? Eskakel at AOL. Uh, but, like, you know, there's so many, like DirecTV, it literally has 800 channels. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then you go out to streaming services. There's uh, yeah, it's out there. The big ones, you know, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, and then you've got these weirder ones, Furvy and um, Peacock now. Yeah. And, um, so the good thing is with all these networks, they need content. Um, so it's in some ways relatively easy to sell a show, um, and uh, you know, um, so it, it, but. <laughs> the last two years, you know, there's no way you're going to be able to pitch an animated show where you'd need five or six people in a room uh, together, you know, using mics that, you know, obviously you're basically, you know, you're spitting on mics. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but now it's slowly getting back to normal. So it's been put on hold to okay. answer your question from 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited if it does come out, I definitely will watch for it. No, no, I mean, no, go ahead. I, well, I just, uh, you know, in the world, of, I, everything I do is for my stand up. So the only reason I want that show on the air is because, oh, now I can play a theater where you guys are from, or, you know, I can go to Canada. And, and uh, like most people do stand up to get into films or acting. I'm mm-hmm. the complete opposite. I'm into acting for better stand up gigs. So sure. it's, um, you know, I, I've always done things ass backwards. Yeah, another, another. I was just going to mention another project that you worked on that I think was very underrated and unfortunately didn't make it much longer. The uh, I, I'm Dying Up Here that was on Showtime, which uh, based around the 70s comedy scene. And 
Yeah. I mean, that was uh, the little show that could, that didn't. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was too bad because it was funny. I mean, when you look at the cast, you know, <laughs> right. I mean, Melissa Leo, she's won an Oscar. Um, Brad Garrett, season two, uh, he should yep. have won Emmy for his role. Um, and then all the comics who were on it, just this amazing, you know, Andrew Santino, Eric Griffin, Al Madrigal, who's an, an amazing comic. Um, and the guest spots they would have, um, you know, Rick Overton, who is, uh, he's almost along the lines of Brody Stevens, where he's more of an L.A. comedy legend. But, um, you know, he's been in so many great films, just like the wacky country bumpkin. Um, uh, who else was in it? I mean, uh, Robert Forrester, who at. Uh, oh, sure. Know, I mean, I saw him at the premiere party for season one at Cantor's Deli, and and uh, which is that famous deli on Fairfax. And uh, he was behind me in line. I just turned around and said, "Hey, I loved you in that Chuck Norris movie, Delta Force, <laughs> where he played like the Arab bad guy." Um, so you know, it just—it's <laughs> one of those. And I'm not High just point. saying this because I was on the show and I was barely on it, but. I was on it enough to stay a minute. Um, you know, when you're behind the boom guy in the credits, uh, you know, you're not really a massive <laughs> part of the show. But, um, you know, I, I think it, it was too real. Um, because the number one complaint I got from my friends is it's not that funny. And, really? Well, it's a... It, yeah, it's, 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 it's behind the scenes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not a sitcom. Yeah. I mean, not to take this uh, to a different level, but, you know, I've done comedy, I'll say 22 years. I would guess I've lost probably 25 comedy friends to suicide. Jesus. You know, you know literally one a year, um, wow. you know, and, and like I count like Ralphie made basically was suicide by food. Yeah, uh, right, right. I'm, not, I'm not even trying to be funny. I, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's like stand up is a brutal business, man. Like, uh, you know, and, and it take the brutal, the brutality of it takes many forms. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, like, you know, I saw, you know, with Roast Battle, like from the standpoint of I saw a lot of younger comics, they got on the TV show thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be famous. And it's like, no, this is literally giving you your, the famous phrase, 15 minutes. And, yeah. You know, yeah. you're not even getting that on the show. You're getting five. Right. And, uh, so, and not that anyone killed themselves from doing that show, but it was just like sure. the reality check that, you know, three years later, they're, they're back to doing open mics. Oh, yeah. I, but I, I was on TV, but yeah, nobody remembers the show. Yeah, right. It's and too if, bad. Yeah. So it's like stuff like that. And then you get into, you know, you're basically performing in a nightclub and you're drugs and alcohol and, um, you know, womanizing and uh, well, it just gets lonely. Some nights, yeah, you get lonely. You get, you know, you start dating comics, which I've certainly done, uh, and then you break up, and then you see them fucking someone else the next week. Um, um, you know, that's kind of a mind fuck. Uh, you know, and and it's uh, the rejection you get. Uh, you know, I mean, people think I'm a successful voiceover actor. And I guess I am, but I literally still to this day get rejected for 90% of the auditions I go on. Um, oh, okay. It's brutal. So, it's brutal. Well, I mean, it's even tougher in my case because not only do you still get rejected for stand up gigs, 
Um, but now I'm getting also rejected for voiceover gigs. So it's like a second segment of, uh, because in the, in the voice voiceover uh, work is a hundred times harder than stand up. And I never thought I would say that, but no, yeah. I'm surprised by that, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, especially for me, cause I'm in a very, I'll say niche or niche, <laughs> depending on, it's like my favorite hockey player is Matt Roy, but some people say it's wah. Yeah, man. Wow. <laughs> but I'm in a very uh, small category of it's called baritone, but basically mm-hmm. booming deep baritone voices. So it, it's it's me. It's literally James Earl Jones, <laughs> Darth Vader. Yeah, so I'm auditioning against Darth Vader, you know? <laughs> and he doesn't even audition. He's just offered the role. Right. Yeah. No, he doesn't audition anymore. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and he shouldn't audition. Even yeah. I'm like. He should get this role. Um, <laughs> if he's available, uh, book him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, if he's not tired, because I think he's in his eighties, uh, he and, and so then if he passes on the gig, I'm then going up against actors like Rob Riggle, um, uh, mm-hmm. Dylan McDermott, um, uh, Patrick Warburton. So I've got to hope they're too busy to do the gigs. And then the third group is which I'm in is just working voiceover guys. Um, Like, did you guys ever watch Sons of Anarchy? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, If you remember the bad guy in season five and a little bit of season six, the black guy, really hulking black dude. His name's Billy Brown. Okay. Um, Yeah. I'm going up against him. Um, You know, he's the current voice of... uh, what is it? The Navy, the few, the proud. No, is it the Marines? Uh, yeah, the Marines. Oh, okay. He's the voice in that commercial. Um, okay. So, you know, I'm going up against like now, like the 10 deep voice actors who we all work. Like none of us are not working. So, yeah. you know, it's, you know, because in stand up, like let's just say this weekend, if you're a funny stand up, you will get work this weekend. You know, there's, um, probably, you know, anywhere from five to 10 A rooms in every state. Sure. Maybe not 10 in Alaska. You know, there's probably one there, but there's probably 15 in California. Um, so, you know, so that's 50 states. Let's say 250 A rooms in the country, plus college gigs, corporate gigs. There's 500 gigs this weekend. So if you're not getting those gigs, you're not funny. Um, <laughs> But in the voiceover world, uh, you know, this week, there's maybe five auditions for deep voice guys. You know, there's the new Superman movie, the villain part. There's the new, um, you know, Adult Swim, uh, you know, cartoon for uh, it's about the Dungeons and Dragons. And they need a deep voice for the the main dragon bad guy. So that's maybe five gigs for yeah. probably 50 from James Earl Jones to Billy Brown to me to Rob Riggle, maybe 20 guys uh, who have a legitimate shot at those five gigs. So it's much harder to get them. So so do you look for those or do they just... No, I have an agent. Um, So he's looking for them. Yeah, I mean, I'm with a... I'm probably the number one voiceover agency in in town or the world. I don't want to be too dramatic and say the world, (laughs) but... um, so, you know, I, I definitely have a little bit of a, you know, when someone says, hey, we got Earl Skakel from 
you know, the so-and-so agency, it, it definitely helps me gotcha. um, get in the door, but it's still, you know, I'm sure Billy Brown's with probably, I don't know, William Morris or something. And um, so it's very uh, inc incredibly competitive in the voiceover field. But if you do get like the jellies, um, I still get, you know, we haven't done an episode in two years. I still get uh, nice checks once, twice a month still. So yeah. I can only imagine, you know, what the guys on Bob's Burgers or South Park or mm. uh, um, Family Guy, uh, you know, but the, I mean, that's the goal. Yeah, just, right. One of those. Yeah. So, I mean, because Tyler's so busy and, and so creative and successful that, you know, selfishly, I was like, oh, man, this this could be the Black South Park. <laughs> yeah. Because Tyler's... Um, the sense of humor is very much like Trey Parker and Matt Stone, but but for African Americans, and the okay. fact that I'm basically the only white guy on the show, um, uh, you know, it uh, makes me wish we were doing more seasons. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, you never know. Like you said, you know, a lot of those shows did take breaks. So, yeah, I mean, Tyler's the type of kid. Even you know, I'm not going to lie and say we're best friends, but you know, you got you know worked with him for five years. Uh, you know. Uh, He's the type that would wake up tomorrow and say, fuck it, let's do another season. Right. Sure. Well, so, so. Yeah. Uh, I hope, because uh, it, you know, in the, in the stand up world, you know, the, you know, his fan base is exactly what I want. You know, that 18 to say 30 year olds who, you know, I don't have any merch to sell, but like, you know, if I had an, I don't know, inappropriate Earl t shirt, you know, they would buy it. Um, they'd buy a comedy album they'd watch you know if i through the grace of god got on netflix on a special they'd watch it um you know so uh you didn't you didn't start producing skakel army shirts after that guy yeah heck yeah no, that, this is tailor made for gene simmons <laughs> i was gonna say a gene would sue you you'd be fucked <laughs> oh 100 percent. i got a little bit of money but i don't have that kind of money to make on gene simmons uh, <laughs> nobody does no no. Although I did meet him once at a party in Malibu and I, I kind of gained respect for him. Uh, so we're talking, I think he'd recognize me from stand up or something. I, his son's a fan of mine, Nick. Uh, okay. Oh, okay. So he's talking to me and he's got this girl behind him, but I'm so enamored that, Oh my God, Gene Simmons is in front of me. I mean, and I'm starting to think of a thousand questions I could ask about him. And uh, I noticed his right hand is, it's by his waist, but it's, it's going like this. And I thought, oh, my God, maybe he has Parkinson's or something. And then I, for whatever reason, I start to slowly put two and two together. And I, I on the sly, I kind of just look down there. And he's fingering the girl behind him. And then reaches into his pocket and tries to hand me a kiss credit card to sell me. Like, this guy <laughs> within one swoop <laughs> oh it was the most smooth thing i've ever seen in my life uh he's talking to me fingering a girl and then goes into business mode wow like it was pretty epic that's fantastic yeah yeah i mean just yeah good old gene good I, <laughs> my, not many people can get away with that well i love him a lot of people don't but i appreciate I think the older I've gotten, and specifically in comedy, the more honest I've gotten. 
which I love. Not that I was a bullshitter before, but like, you know, there'd be a time in my life where if I wasn't happy with how I was treated like Sam Roast Battle and by Jeff and the network, I would just write it off as, eh, this is how the business is. But now I, 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 I don't, I, I kind of subscribe to that Gene Simmons. Hey, I like money. I like pussy. You don't like that. Then don't listen to my music, uh, which <laughs> he, is someone he, else playing bass, but I'm going to get checks. <laughs> he, he definitely is honest. He's definitely upfront on everything he does never never i mean i like that i mean yeah yeah you know he almost mocked for his honesty because you know a lot of people you know i mean he's a very um talented musician but like he he didn't apply himself really I want to make money selling lunch boxes (laughs) he he knew he couldn't I've, i've read his i've actually read all his books just because it's, but, I, I, mean, I thought it was interesting. If you go back to the early Kiss albums and listen to the bass lines where it was actually him playing, he's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and um, I'm not saying he's John Entwistle or, you know, but. But nobody um, is. No, I mean. I mean, uh, John's the greatest of all time, but that's a different subject. Well, it's funny. I, I can't mention this person's name because they're a privacy freak. But uh, I was, uh, I'm trying to, I, I have to say this in a way where <laughs> I um, d- disguise who this was, but it was a very, very famous bass player. And they were at the comedy store one night and I was like, I, wanna, I wonder what they think of Gene's bass playing abilities. So I pull up this video of Gene doing a, a bass solo where he's just spitting blood and and this person looks at me and goes, that's not a bass solo. <laughs> that's Gene hitting the same chord over and over, spitting blood. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but. Which know, is true. I mean, he's, the, his bass solo is not for his musical talents, like you were saying. I mean, he doesn't apply himself for no. that, right? He'd rather have the, the theatricals than. Which the is funny. Music. Which is why I like Kiss in the 80s, which is an oxymoron, because I think in the 80s, they were never more musically talented than at that time. Uh, In terms of their individual skills, like, you know, Vinnie Vincent's a maniac. But back then he he was he could hold his own with Jakey Lee or, you know, Martini or he could. um, You know, I think Jeff Beck said uh, that. At that time, Vinny was one of his favorite guitar players. So that's, that's oh. pretty lofty praise. And, and certainly uh, Eric Carr was an incredible uh, power drummer. Um, you know, I, I don't think Kiss would have survived with Peter and Ace in it at that time frame. Um, they wouldn't have, no. Not, especially mean, with even, Peter. Yeah, I mean, he just... And really, even the one album Mark St. John played on, you know, which I love Animalize, there's no way Ace could have played that stuff. Uh, you know, I mean, which it, it's always bummed me out about Gene and Paul, how they shit on Mark St. John. And I realized he was a, a very small part of history because he was only there for literally nine months. But you wanted a Jake E. Lee clone. You wanted someone who could play like Yngwie Malmsteen. You got it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, but. You know, that was an interesting time for Kiss when they were like sellout city. If, if Polka 
was popular. They would have put out a folk album. Good thing they weren't from Wisconsin. <laughs> it would have sold. Wow. Oh, I would have bought it. <laughs> well, yeah, we're. I would have too. I mean, right? Kiss is out of control. They're the only band I've ever seen play on their own tribute record. <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> hey, we're great. We're gonna tribute ourselves. That's a good point. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, man. Well, maybe someday you can have one of the KISS members on your podcast. I've tried. Uh, I did a comedy show. Um, it's a very long story, but I'll, I'll, I'll trim some of the fat. One night, an ex-girlfriend calls me up um, and she says, hey, can you fill in for me for a gig? I'm like, yeah, yeah, what's, what's the gig? And she was being very secretive about it. And uh, She's a very talented actress named Whitney Rice. And uh, she's like, well, you just go to this warehouse downtown and this big black guy will meet you outside. And he'll, he'll it's like, it's an open mic. I can't do it. I've got something else to do. I'm like, this does not sound like an open mic. I don't know many open mics that have a giant black dude. <laughs> uh, and so I go to the address she gave me. Sure enough, there's an incredibly large black gentleman at the door. He's like, are you Earl? I'm like, I am today, brother. And uh, <laughs> he takes me into what is now L.A. Live, which is the venue across the street. I can't call it Crypto.com Arena. Staple Center. Stable, yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's the Clive Davis Amphitheater. And I'm like, this is weird. This is not an open mic. And they would not let me inside. But I heard what seemed to be thousands of people on the other side of that door. And I could tell it was live. I could tell it wasn't. They weren't watching a movie or something. And all of a sudden, I think it was Bill Burr. Someone says, good night, guys. I'm Bill Burr. Uh, and then the security guy opens the door and goes, you're next. So I start running down the hallway, which was curtained off. So the crowd was on the other side of this curtain. I'm running down the hallway like the ultimate warrior going to the ring. I get to the end of the curtain. I look up and there's Gene Simmons on stage sitting by himself with a chair next to him. And my friend Skylar Stone, who was on Punked, and I think another one of those type shows, uh, hands me a microphone and goes interview him and <laughs> i i didn't even see i was so focused on gene simmons that my peripheral vision wasn't catching what was on the right side of the room which was wasn't thousands but it was hundreds of people and gene's family's in the front row and so i sat down for 10 minutes and interviewed him wow um, and he because my first question was about vinnie vincent and he loved that um okay and, and he like an idiot he invites me to dinner afterwards and i'm like hey i gotta go do roast battle but thank you <laughs> um, so i've tried to get him on the podcast a few times after that it's just very hard to to nail yeah. him down and uh, uh i know some friends who could link me with paul but i'm, I'm kind of scared because i don't i don't think paul would like my sense of humor like i can just tell yeah um <laughs> I don't know. I, think, I don't know. I mean, Maybe. I don't know. I, I think he's more uh, like Gene's a buffoon. He knows. Yes. Yes. I'm a buffoon. So I think we would get along. 
Like he loved the Vinnie Vincent question. Yeah. Which was basically the joke I did to you guys. I'm like, Hey, is Vinnie really that out of control? I mean, got kicked out of the Vinnie Vincent invasion and Gene just starts belly laughing. (laughs) Uh, I'm like, Hey, uh, have you seen Mark St. John lately? Just kidding. And and Gene's laughing. And uh, I think if I said that, because I I read an interview once, or I listened to an interview once uh, with Paul and someone brought up Vinny. And uh, Paul was like, I don't want to talk about him. Hmm. I I think that's what Paul would be. He just would say, I don't want to talk about him. You know, it's like when I had uh, Bobby Brown on my podcast, not the singer, but the the cherry pie girl. And Oh, and, yeah. She was awesome. I mean, she came to my home. You know, nice. but, she's hanging on my wall right around the corner. I have the yeah. album. I have the album up on my wall. Oh, she's very, very nice. But, um, you know, and I get it. Like, you know, she didn't want to talk about the cherry pie video that much. And, and Star Search, you know, she won the I think the spokesmodel thing like nine times. Oh, sure. She didn't want to talk about that. And, you know, she had a book to promote. So I, I read the book. Believe me, you could drive a truck through the sentences. Uh, <laughs> And she brought her boyfriend with her at the same time. So, you know, I, you know, she had some good stories in the book about, you know, fucking different celebrities. And like, I couldn't ask her, Hey, how big was Dave Navarro's dick? And you know, the boyfriend's yeah. right there. <laughs> so uh, I think if I were to get Paul on the inappropriate Earl couch, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm pretty good at massaging my way into the questions, but I just have a sneaking gut that uh, it might be a, a quick interview. Yeah. And so, I, and I also think Paul would say, you come to me. So yeah, I, I think you're out. Of- yeah. He'd probably be like, you know what I mean? Like, I think Gene would come to me. Yeah. Yeah. Cause in Gene's mind, it'd be like, okay. I mean, I'm not a famous comic, but this guy's a well-known comic or whatever I am. Um, there's value in me selling some bullshit on his podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And what you got? I, what you got to do is get Vinnie Vincent. Why? Well, it's funny enough. I I probably shouldn't say this idea because someone will probably steal it. But uh, <laughs> I was one of the idiots that bought the Vinnie Vincent box set. Okay. Oh. Which was on cassette, which should have been the first red flag. Um, so I, I get, and it was very well done. It was a pink flying V. You know, a a, a miniature guitar case yeah. basically comes in the mail so i'm holding up my ipad here just it's a little bigger than this i remember picking it up in the mail and i was like man this feels kind of light and i'm going like this i hear nothing in the box not even the the, the paper they use to buffer it like and so i open up there's nothing in there oh so I approached Russell Peters with, you know, Russell's a, he's in that Jimmy Carr category of very famous comics. I said, dude, I got a great idea for a documentary. This is after the Anvil documentary. Yeah. You know, okay, they did a documentary on Anvil. This Vinnie Vincent thing's a shoo-in. Uh, where the opening scene is me on my couch with the box set I still have somewhere. And I just open it up to nothing. I close it. The next scene is me knocking on Vinny's door. And I think he lives in Tennessee with the box that going, where are my cassettes, motherfucker? <laughs> and, 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 and do a serious interview because we've never really heard his side of the story. Right. Uh, you know, we've heard the pretty one-sided view of just 
Gene and Paul bearing him saying he was a maniac. And I mean, listen, when you're kicked out of your own band uh, yeah. and, and kissed three times, probably some of it's on you. Um, I was going to say, we know Mark Slaughter doesn't like him very much either. So, And Mark is so nice. We're, he saw me at Zany's in Nashville, and it's the funniest thing. Um, I was doing some rock and pod convention. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name of it. I wish I could remember because he's got the rock and pod convention, I think it's called. And uh, some great guys, these brothers run it. And it, it's, you walk into this convention center, and, and it's hundreds of podcasters. So you, you hop on every podcast. And uh, they uh, did a music show and guys like Keel were there and, and um, you know, some random members of random 80s bands. Yeah. And it ended with a comedy show at Zany's in Nashville. So I, my thing is wearing leather pants and all that stuff. I got my leather pants on and a, an original Vinnie Vincent Invasion t-shirt. Like literally this thing goes for probably a thousand bucks on eBay because it's the, the OG and I walk out and there's Mark Slaughter in the front row. <laughs> and he's giving me the we're not worthy thing. <laughs> I got so starstruck. I, I went right to that Benny Benson getting kicked out of his band joke. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so, he's so fucking nice. Like, yeah. If he has a problem with you, once again, it's probably on you. A little bit, a uh, little bit, yeah. But I still oh. think it would be a fascinating uh, documentary, of, uh, and especially now, you know, there's rumors that he's transitioning. I don't <laughs> care if he is or isn't. Like, right. I live in West Hollywood. I, you know, I'm the only straight guy in my building. I could care less what people are. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I just think it would be such a fascinating. You know, he is a musical, uh, like, savant. Uh, you know, just just his music career is fascinating. Uh, starting out in yeah. the Dan Hartman band, which, who you know, Dan Hartman was the guy probably most famous for singing that song, I Can Dream About You. I Can Dream About Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he one of those... Which wasn't even his face in the video. Well, it, that's a weird video because it's... Uh, the five black actors, some of them famous, you know, Robert Townsend, Stoney yep. Jackson, um, and uh, Mickle T. Williamson, who's, who's probably the most famous of those five guys who were in that video. Um, they're lip syncing to a song Dan Hartman wrote, but I think a guy named, I, I'm, I'm probably getting this wrong. Another singer was singing. Oh, so, that I did not know. I thought it was Dan Hartman. No, it's a Dan Hartman song being lip synced by five black guys, but it's a uh, like a studio guy singing. Um, Perfect. So, you know, he starts out in that band with G.E. Smith from um, Hall and Oates and the Saturday Night Live band. Mm -hmm. Goes to that, starts writing jingles for Happy Days. I think Joni and Chachi. Wow. Gets it, yeah. yes, does. Uh, you know, a stint and kiss and the two Vinnie Vincent albums. And they got on some big tours, you know, Alice Cooper, Iron Maid. Um, and then, uh, you know, he literally went like, he just disappeared. Like he. So I thought he, I read somewhere that at one time he was, he like enclosed himself in, um, in his fortress at, in Tennessee. I think it was like uh, when the whole uh, 2000, you know, the world right. was going to shut down that he took that literally and, 
buried himself in this house. I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, I don't I mean, know if that was re- true or not. Well, I think he got arrested. No, he didn't get arrested, but um, he had like dead dogs and Tupperware containers or something. Uh, you yes. know, he, loved, he loved his dogs, but he didn't want, you know, I don't know the exact reason, but like crazy uh, stuff like that. Uh, and then, you know, his first wife was, uh, you know, sadly murdered. Uh, she was like a prostitute and she got murdered in the woods in Connecticut. And, you know, he's, I mean, I don't mean to like bring the podcast down to like a a sad um, note, but like, it's, he's such a fascinating story. Like, um, been through a lot. Yeah. Just this time and kiss would be okay. That's a cool story. (laughs) But like when you add that stuff in and then probably one of my favorite things he's done, even though he ripped me off for 150 bucks or whatever it was, uh, (laughs) put out an album guitar mageddon uh, late 90s i think and so i get the album and it's 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 just him doodling um the, you know the first song so i thought oh let's see what's the second song so i press forward and it goes to the end of the album he made it it's a bunch of songs but there's no break there's no like song two song three he makes oh. you listen you either have to listen to the whole thing or none of it <laughs> is he brilliant or crazy that, was, that sounds like a gene simmons move there but he stole that from gene i mean it's it's oddly genius <laughs> it is that's yeah. so you're those people that that borderline when they're a genius or crazy yeah right i mean your IQ. I yeah I, I don't know if he's autistic or uh you know uh you'll find out in your documentary uh, well i mean it, it's uh <laughs> I still believe that it could be. I do too. Um, I mean, it's it's like it, it goes back to the the cartoon comedy club idea. Uh, these networks need streaming, uh, need content. Um, yep. And I think, uh, you know, you could sprinkle in interviews with like Mark Slaughter. Um, uh, I had Bobby Rock on Inappropriate Earl, and um, he was probably the best interview I've ever done. Not because of me but because of him he has been sober for so long that his memory is he's almost like rain man um he broke down how they recorded the first invasion album and i felt like i was in the studio with them i mean um just such details and um Hmm. so you know i think he'd be a good interview you know certainly dana strum um you know i i you know, Gene and Paul are so weird when it comes to Vinny that, uh, but, you know, obviously they would be amazing gets if, if, if they wanted to, you know, be involved. I think, you know, you need some names and then, you know. And you, I think uh, with Gene and Paul, yes, um, they don't like to talk about it, but I think there's a, there was a little bit of, I'm sure Vinny is crazy, but they don't really want people that much better than them. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think. They want to be the focal. They want to be the stars. And I guess, you know, I understand why. I mean, it's their band. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not, you know, they certainly carried the torch when Ace and Peter were too messed yeah. up to play. And uh, I think even uh, getting back to Mark St. John, you know, he, I think he only played uh, one and a half concerts with them. And I don't know if this is an urban legend or whatever, but 
you know, some people don't believe the story that he had to quit the band because he had uh, that crazy arthritis. Right. You know, because a year after Kiss, he, he was in his own band. Um, so, uh, but they said Paul in the full concert that he played, which I think is in Binghamton, New York. Um, Paul looked over and Mark St. John's doing the Jakey Lee, you know, throwing the guitar around his shoulder. Yeah. You know, right back into playing and playing with his teeth and, you know, putting it, uh, you know, I've seen Steve Stevens do this when I see Billy Idol, he puts the guitar behind his neck and I think someone, and you know, this could be a rumor or whatever, but someone said, Paul was like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I mean, I could definitely see Gene and Paul being uh, like, Hey man, your part is background until you get the solo and then you move, then you go back to the background. Which I think is what made Bruce Kulick such a great player, you know, because he was and this is going to sound like I'm insulting Bruce, who I kind of know, but he was a great yes man. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, Gene, you want me over there for Deuce? Okay, Paul, you want, you know, like you said, I'll be on the riser next to Eric. I'll do the solo. I'll go back. You know, these are the 20 songs you're playing, you know, learn them. And and Bruce is such an amazing guitar player. you know, you probably took them, you know, two hours to know the whole Kiss catalog. The whole thing, right? Uh, so. Uh, we saw, well, I mean, I, I saw him in Kiss during the, you know, back, I seen Kiss so many times, but we saw him in uh, yeah, with Wendover. The, with the Guess Who or? No, uh, Grand, Grand Funk, Funk Railroad. Grand Funk Railroad, yeah, yeah. We, we went yeah, to I see mean, them as a fluke. Then we're sitting there, I'm like, I recognize him. <laughs> well, he's so, I mean, I uh, went to every one of his he had a band after Kiss called Union. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Which uh, was an amazing band with John Karabi. From, you know, the crew is a singer. Um, my good friend Brent Fitz on drums, who now drums for Slash. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, maybe the most talented bass player I've ever seen, a guy by the name of Jamie Hunting, um, who I think uh, filled in for the, no, he, uh, not the who, but uh, he played bass for Roger Daltrey when he would do his solo things. And um, Jamie was like a true rock star, like a Keith Richards on bass. So Bruce is very um, regimented, I guess you'd say. Like mm-hmm. um, I, he probably picked that up from Gene and Paul, like, okay, we're going to do these 10 songs. We're going to do surrender after the drum solo. It's going to start eight seconds after this. And, and Jamie is like a wild card. He's he's um, brilliant, but you know probably hard to work with because he you know um, at that time might have been under the influence of things. Uh, <laughs> and those, those early Union shows were so fun to watch because there was just the most interesting dynamic of hmm. you know post crew for Karabi. Um, this was my friend Brent's probably first big band he was in. You know, at that time, he was a struggling musician working at a guitar store on Sunset. So he, he was like the hunger part of the band. Like, um, you know, he would always push them. Hey, let's do a cover of, you know, this song or that song. Hey, let's let's do an extended solo here and there. And, and then, you know, Bruce was obviously the name with Karabi. And mm-hmm. Jamie was probably, I don't want to say he's as talented as Bruce, but he's up there in terms of the bass playing. So it was, but, you know, it was just the wrong time for the band. I mean, they... I think they put out three albums and uh, it's just, I think it was 98. Yeah. Was just <laughs> the wrong time for eighties guys to get in with the, 
I think at the time still boy bands were big and yeah, oh yeah. And they're yeah, they're trying to get off their name, but they weren't big enough. I, I remember all the those members from KISS. I tried to follow them afterwards and just fell off the you know, there's too many. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Benny was probably the most successful in terms of you sure. know, when he did something you knew about it. Right. Uh, problem is it was usually ripping off fans. So uh <laughs> wasn't really uh you know the greatest thing in the world uh and then you know bruce was you know bruce is just like you know he's almost i don't want to say he's quite as proficient as steve lukather but like you know bruce has played on a lot of albums that you've probably never heard of. like he's right. just he's so technically good that you know uh like i read steve lukather's book and i had no idea he's played on thousands of albums literally thousands um, wow Hmm. I didn't know he did the guitar solo for uh, She's a Beauty on the Tubes. Um, oh, okay. You know, probably took him 10 minutes and then he left. And I'm sure, he, you know, so that's Bruce. Like, um, wow. So, uh, but probably you know, got he calls and they needed something to your point, something yeah. very good, very technical. Call Bruce yeah. and he'll come in and do it. Oh, and, and on Grand Funk, I saw him at a state fair. And I, you know, it's where Grand Funk, you can, you don't realize how many hits they had. Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking that we had a great time. Yeah, we, we were, did. We did. Yeah, it was fun. Same At least thing. I didn't. You know, outside of wearing American band, you know, that, that, that's about my knowledge of Grand Funk. One hundred percent. They said, "Oh, I didn't know the." You know, it's like when I saw Cool and the Gang open for Van Halen, which I still think is the <laughs> oddest concert pairing I've ever seen. Could be. Uh, apparently, the story is. Um, David Lee Roth was a huge fan of Cool and the Gang. The others, not, not that they weren't, but they wanted, pro I, I could see the Van Halen brothers going, hey, we need like a new metal band or right. we, we need a draw. And uh, because David fought them enough where they were like, hey, if you want them on the tour, you're going to pay for them. Um, so uh, I saw Cool and the Gang open up for Van Halen at, at the <laughs> Staples Center. And it, very similar to Grand Funk. Like, you know, yeah, I knew they sang Celebration. But then, you know, they start get down on it. Oh, I didn't know they sang that song. I thought that was uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and like probably seven or eight. It was like watching the Greatest Hits album live, just hit after hit. Um, and still to this day, I don't think I've ever seen an opening act go over better than Cool and the Gang did. Like, this was a very white crowd. You know, it's Van Halen. Yeah. And probably about three quarters of the way into their set, the whole crowd's dancing. <laughs> So it's kind of neat to see. So uh, yeah, but Bruce, especially for openers, Bruce, yeah. Bruce could play in Cool in the Gang tomorrow night if they had a gig. <laughs> I'm amazed by your knowledge and able to remember names and things of, of of every genre. That's awesome. That's been a lot of fun listening to all that. Well, your all the, just your history. Wow, right. wow. Well, I I think a lot of it is because I've never had a drink or drug in my life. So I've lived in LA for 53 years. I've seen it all twice. I haven't mm -hmm. done most of it, but I've seen it all twice. So I can remember everything. Like, um, you know, like I almost, well, here's a kind of an interesting kiss story. Um, my friend Brent was drumming for Vince Neil. Oh, and, okay. uh, he was playing at, um, the Key Club, which used to be Gazzari's in the 80s. Um, 
And so we go see Brent play for Vince Neal and we go backstage, you know, backstage at the key club at the time was like the kitchen. It was not like this beautiful, you know, velourd walled multi couches and caviar uh, green room and uh, small talk, small talk. Bruce says to me, Hey Earl, let's leave. Let's start leaving with Bruce. And I'm such an idiot savant with music. I see this guy who kind of looks like a miniature Keith, a miniature Joe Perry. And I'm like, oh shit, that's Frankie from Stephen Piercy's uh, post rap band, Arcade. So I said, Bruce, I'll catch up with you later. I want to talk to Frankie about Arcade and Piercy. About two minutes later, we hear gunshots and we all go up outside. And Bruce, that's the night Bruce got shot. Oh, oh, wow. And, you know, this is really before Papa. This is uh, whenever he got shot. I don't know what year that was. Maybe maybe late 90s, early 2000s. So there wasn't really cell phones and shit like that. So the crowd gathers around Bruce. I'm with Brent, my girlfriend at the time, who manages to this day Motorhead. Nice. And Bruce is bleeding, you know, pretty bad. I think he got shot directly in the knee. And maybe a second bullet grazed his head, I want to say, or grazed some part of his body. And I had this really nice, I'm not trying to impress you guys, but but (laughs) probably an $800 Versace dress shirt on. And everyone looks up at me and goes, Earl, give him your shirt. You know, it's a tourniquet. (laughs) And I looked at him, I'm like, hey, Bruce, level with me. How bad is it? (laughs) (laughs) so i gave him my shirt because i was getting intense pressure from my girlfriend and brent like dude come on man and i'm such a jew (laughs) that bruce goes to cedar sinai obviously he's a uh, gunshot victim so they rip his leather pants off they cut it (laughs) i start panicking going they better not touch my fucking shirt Uh, so i go back the next day and I'm like, hey, um, what do they do with like the clothes of gunshot victims? And this like nurse or orderly or whatever is like, oh, they, they throw it in the a medical waste bio bin. I'm like, where's that? No. And he shows me. And I literally with no gloves on, I think I took my shirt off. I had like a T-shirt on. And I just start pillaging through the medical waste bin. And uh, I got my shirt back. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Is it there's and like the a, blood came out? <laughs> yeah, I had to dry clean like five times. There's there's a similar five, isn't there a similar five is my lucky in? number. So I thought I'll just get it dry clean five times. And it worked. Yeah, I still have the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a similar up uh, storyline in an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry David wants a sweater back from some like some guy goes to the hospital or something, he wants a sweater back. Yeah, I'm very much like Larry David. I'm not nearly as talented. But, you know, there's that famous story where one night he was doing stand-up or he was supposed to do stand-up. And, you know, you know, I, I think someone like him and, and me to a much lesser degree, like um, we have a bizarre stage fright. Like you wouldn't think Larry David has stage fright or thinks he's not funny. But, you know, I think most brilliant comics deep down think, am I funny? Yeah. And he, 
they say he walked on stage one night. He was the headliner, obviously. And he just looked at the crowd and says into the mic, nah, I don't think so. And he just walked off. Um, so, oh. you know. Wow. I've done that a few times. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in the early days, I yeah. just wasn't feeling it. I had stage fright or anxiety. And, you know, that's the only bad thing about not drinking or doing drugs is you have to experience every emotion with complete clarity. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, like the night I got, uh, I showcased at the comedy store, which is, you know, there was so much pressure that night on me because they had fired the racist booker. They brought in this new guy who had seen me do stand up, and he had every comic in the world calling him saying, you got to pass Earl. He's been up there forever. He got fucked over by the last guy. You have to pass him. Just pass him. Don't even showcase him. You know, and you know, I think all of us are like little kids. When we're told something, you have to do this. You don't want to do it. <laughs> so he came up to me and, and he's like, hey, I'm going to showcase you. But if you don't pass, but if you don't do well, I can't pass you. So uh, that night before my showcase, I'm sweating bullets. Uh, 20 minutes before my showcase, I'm completely naked on my bathroom floor. And I, I had some bizarre paralysis I've never had since. And I don't sweat often. You know, even in hot yoga, I rarely sweat. I don't know if I have weird pores or whatever. <laughs> um, but that night I was, it looked like someone had poured 10 gallons of water on me. I was just sweating over the toilet. Um, and so I think most comics, if they had that happening to them, would maybe smoke a joint. Sure. Take some, uh, not Molly, but, you know, uh, ecstasy or something. Something. And I couldn't. I was like, I, I and so I was in, beyond. It's probably the most nervous I've ever been in my life. Um, wow. Every comic in the city came that night to see me because maybe that was you. Even the few comics that, it, you know, that, I mean, I'm pretty well liked, but there's probably one or two comics that don't like me. Even they showed up. They wanted me to get past. Uh, and uh, I knew when Chris D'Elia walked in the room and he, he put it this way. If you weren't a chick, he wasn't going to watch your set. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, and even, even Chris watched Fantastic. my set. Um, and, you know, it all worked out. You know, I, I had a, you know, like roast battle, I had a good strategy and it worked. So, uh, so you but, you battled through and you still went on. I battled through. I had uh, not that six minutes is a set. It's it's not, but I um, had the best six minutes set I think you could have. It was like the perfect. Okay. Were you still sweating when you went on stage? No, I just literally forced myself through the grace of God or. Uh -huh. you know, my my parents from above or whatever you believe in is a, you know, mythical force in your life. It, it literally picked me up and, uh, I, you know, I had 20 minutes to get ready. And I was like, I can't be late for a showcase of the number one club in the world. And uh, it all worked out. So. Um, Obviously. You know, yeah. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and here you are still going strong that's awesome are you uh are you going down to the the comedy store today to, or tonight to watch the the ballot do you still go down and watch them uh no I, oh, I've, i haven't been in that room in probably three years oh uh, yeah but i have a spot tonight in the original room so um awesome no. when is this podcast out um probably a couple weeks okay so uh well 
Probably, uh, yeah, like two weeks from Monday. We put them out every Monday, so. Okay, well, I was going to invite people. I didn't know if this was live or. or no, no. But I'm at the store a couple times a week, so if anyone from your show uh, is in L.A. and wants to come down, you know, they can just DM me on Instagram and I'll take care of them. Awesome. That is a trip. That's a bucket list item for, for myself. I want to get out there and, Absolutely. and get to the store. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it it's, um, it's hard to explain. It, yeah. it has something that no other club in the city or country has. It's, I think it's the history that it has, you know, yeah. before it was the comedy store, it was like the Italian restaurant where like, uh, or nightclub where like Joe DiMaggio would take Marilyn Monroe and, it's the first place Sammy Davis performed after he lost his eye. Um, and uh, obviously they've changed the carpet and stuff and maybe the upholstery <laughs> a little bit. But that main room stage, which I'm on, you know, one to two times a week, it's still the stage Sammy Davis stepped on. So nice. it, it's pretty. Uh, it's an honor. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's my name has been on the wall there for eight years now, I think. Uh and not a day goes by where I walk by where it doesn't give me a little chill or like, wow, I'm past here. It's pretty neat. Yeah, I can only imagine. That's awesome. That's fantastic. I'd love to see you there. Well, thank you so much. You've spent a ton of time with us and we can't we can't, can't thank you enough. Um, yes. Thank you for having me. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, my AOL uh, email <laughs> system uh, was... Uh, not uh aol sucks but it all worked out it all worked out <laughs> i'm yeah it's worth it just being able to say that you're still on aol <laughs> i think i know it is kind of a baller move <laughs> it is yeah it's like it's like still flipping on a flip phone these days like if you're still rocking one of those you're <laughs> i mean my cell phone has is rotary so uh <laughs> hello I'm just kidding. Um, but thank you guys for having me i mean it's it's always neat to talk about your career and yeah well we love it we're uh we're trying more and more to get more and more comedians on we love comedy and and uh so we we really appreciate you coming on and right now you have an all evening promote your stuff oh yeah promote. let's promote your your <laughs> podcast and your web pages let's well i'm uncomfortable but uh <laughs> the great thing about my plugs is they don't take long because i'm at earl skakel on everything so it's it's not the Earl Skakel. It's not underscore Earl backslash Skakel. It's E-A-R-L-S-K-A-K-E-L. You know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, which I'm not very good at, but I, I'm trying. Um, and then I have my own podcast called Inappropriate Earl, which is wrestlers, musicians, comics. Um, that's on Apple and SoundCloud. And the newest endeavor I have is the comedy store wrestling podcast, which is on every platform. It's already doing better than my podcast. 350 episodes in, I still can't get traction. Nine episodes into the comedy store, uh, because I don't have to do any of the tech stuff. Like it's already surpassed mm. me. Yeah. Um, but if you like pro wrestling, with like we've had, um, let me see, we've had uh Ryan Nemeth, who's Dolph Ziggler's brother. Uh, we, we've had uh, Josh Barnett, who's ex-UFC heavyweight champion. Um, last night was kind of a cool episode. We had uh, Fred Rosser, who uh, wrestling fans might know also as uh, um, Dwayne Young. 
Um, he's the first openly gay pro wrestler. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, it was it was actually a serious podcast. Um, hmm. I, I, let me look that up before we go. I think it's Darren Young. I think I just called him Dwayne. Um, yeah, go ahead, get it right. You know, his his story is fascinating from the standpoint of, you know, to to be. Uh, out in pro wrestling is uh, well, so, yeah that can't be an easy world to to be out in i would imagine that's kind of like trying to go into an nfl locker room after you've come out so it is darren young uh sorry about that. i didn't dwayne young um well because if you and i asked him this last night um and i was scared because you know here i'm about to ask a a gay themed question to a guy who could kick my ass uh, <laughs> But, you know, because he was talking about um, he's a mentor to other um, wrestlers who are still in the closet. And, uh, you know, I asked him, do you think part of their reluctance is um, how gays have been portrayed in the past by wrestling? And because um, he actually really liked the question, because if you if you think back, I'm old enough to remember Adrian Adonis. Yeah. Who. Um, you know, he, he was Jesse Ventura's tag team partner and he was a badass, you know, but back then he was like a biker, but I think he was in the closet and then little by little, he, he came out. And oh yeah. Toward the end, he was really portrayed by the WWE as a cartoonish fat gay dude. Sure. Uh, and I'm sure if you're in the closet still, you see a clip of Adrian Adonis basically being made fun of for being gay. Um, you know, you're like, oh, maybe I'll just stay in the closet. And, uh, you know, like yeah. when I went to uh, XPW over the weekend, um, you know, they had that gay wrestler, Angel, uh, the hardcore, and I'll, I'll <laughs> leave it at that. Um, you know, I'm sure if you're in the closet and you're thinking about coming out and you're a pro wrestler and you see a wrestler called Angel, the hardcore, you're like, uh, I'll just stay in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> They're not making it easy for them, but hopefully now they can. Right. But it actually meant a lot to me to like every now and then I like to do a serious interview. So, uh, yeah, if you like wrestling, it's on the comedy store network and, uh, you know, uh, please listen to it. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again, sir. Have a, uh, have a great set tonight. And uh, I do, I do need to say two things real quick. It's been one of my favorite things talking about kiss so much especially in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. And poo-pooing Motley Crue because that's where they belong. Um, <laughs> no, I like them. Don't get me wrong. I, like, I do I, too. I do to too. be honest with you, just a quick, quick story. Um, I saw Motley Crue last when uh, Alice Cooper opened up for them. Yeah. And, uh, long story short, I'm, I'm not name dropping. It's just how, how I got to tell the story. I know most of Alice's band. So I see them whenever they're in town, uh, you know, Ryan Roxy. Um, well, yeah, and I'm, not to interrupt you, but thanks to you, Ryan Roxy liked one of our stories because I think when I promoted you on Raylan, he, he liked it. So we appreciate yeah, it. No, <laughs> Ryan's a great guitar player and he's a total showman and Nita Strauss. They've both been on Inappropriate Earl, but uh, they were opening up, I think, in 2015 for Motley Crue. And uh, I, I saw and Molly Cruz it, back then, and I'm sure it's even better now. It, it was a great stage presence or stage performance. Mm-hmm. But I will say, you know, when I think the first song was Shout at the Devil and, uh, you know, Vince comes out to the stage looking like he had already run an ultra marathon, <laughs> just drenched 
And he's, you could literally hear him breathing, like, <gasps> yeah, yeah. And I'm in the front row with my girlfriend at the time. And uh, he puts his microphone literally over my head. He's like, shout, shout. <laughs> Does it again. Shout, shout. And, you know, like Nikki Six is really into it. And Mick Mars, I don't know how he's standing. And um, Tommy Lee's doing all this wacky. Sh- and, and then Vince goes, shout, shout. And I just literally, I'm talking to him because I could touch his pant leg. I'm like, Hey, bro, I paid $12.50 for this ticket, $12.50 for her ticket. This ain't karaoke, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. Thank you for saying that. I love it. As much as as I love Motley Crue, every word of that is true. But the crazy thing is then about – and then they they finish uh, Shout of the Devil, and Vince is like, we're going to take it home now. Like, what? (laughs) That's the first fucking song. And then about three songs in, they do a bass solo. And Nikki has this, like a canister or something, <coughs> excuse me, uh, by his bass. I'm like, what the fuck is that? And then fire starts coming out of it. <laughs> okay, cool. And then someone, they must have jumped the gun. They released the confetti. <laughs> Did you- <coughs> So I got confetti coming over my head, Nikki blasting fire over my head. I'm like, uh, this can't be a good idea. <laughs> we start then, confetti on fire. And then Tommy's drum kit goes over the crowd. And as a Jew, everything's about money with me. It gets stuck over my head. It, it literally got stuck. And two thoughts. I'm like, one, wow, he really does have a big dick. Uh, <laughs> And then the second thought is, man, the insurance for this shit's got to be out of control. (laughs) Oh, yes. And then last part, and then we all got to go. I was really trying to impress this girl. Of course. So I noticed they had a thing. I thought front row tickets, that's a good start. And then I surprised her. I'm like, hey, about halfway in, I'm like, hey, I got a surprise for you. So we leave the, we don't leave the venue, but we leave our seats. We go to the dressing room. And for $500 each, I paid for us to have a meet and greet with Alice Cooper, figuring ah, there's not going to be that many people who can afford that. There'd probably be a couple people. And it turns out there was, there was literally five people. So the first three people, do they'd meet them, say hello, get an autograph or whatever. And uh, she was really young. She was 27 years younger than me. Everything was legal. Let's throw that out there. <laughs> I'm sure some of your fan base is going, wait a minute, 27 years younger than you. (laughs) Verge, but you're there. So when you were 25, she was negative too. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) So Alice really liked her because she she was an old soul and she's talking about, oh, I loved uh, billion dollar babies and like all that stuff. And then I thought, I'm going to try and be funny because I'm the last guy in line. So they motioned for me to go over to Alice. And he's sitting down, I'm standing up and he extends his hand for a handshake. I'm like, Hey man, it's an honor to meet you for 500 bucks. (laughs) He did not laugh. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, it was worth a try. And yeah, I, one more thing. And this is it. I swear to God, now I'm getting into plugging shit. Do it. But I want to know if the evening turned out worth the money. 
Trust me, this girl's a whore. It did. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, she left quite an impression on me and my air mattress. Uh, <laughs> she loved food, though. When I pulled out, there was a turkey on my dick. Um, <laughs> if you like the jellies. Probably the most important thing I've ever done. So uh, it's on HBO Max, Cartoon Network, and Adult Swim. Please watch it. Maybe uh, get an online campaign going, hey, bring it back. Bring it back. There you go. Kelly needs some paper. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, boys. I'll see you soon. All right. Have a great evening. Take it easy, man. Likewise. (laughs) Listen to some Kiss right now. Heck yeah. Fuck it. I want to now. Thank you for listening. The tavern is closed for now, but we'd love to have you back for more fun next time. Seriously, though? Get your asses out of here. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid.